Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. Today is Monday, September 18th, 2017. We're coming to you live from our television and radio studios here in northwest Pennsylvania. Joe Hagman, the co-host here, along with John Robertson, filling in for my dad for one more night as they wake their way back, as they make their way back from Branson, Missouri. Um, all the images and, and uh, things we've seen and people we've talked to who attended the conference say it was really uh, something special. And we got uh, some behind-the-scenes clips from uh, my dad and, and some other people. I know a lot of people were there and hearing from, from them over the weekend. Uh, it was nice to see that that event went off successfully, and it looks like it was a really good time. I hope that live stream, you can access that uh, for some time after the event, or they at least do the DVDs quickly, um, as I want to, you know, we didn't get to go. And we did not. I did not take the weekend and watch the event. But I would definitely like to see that. We got a great show lined up for you tonight, folks. Our first guest is Michael Thompson of World Net Daily. Eric, did you say we're good? We're gonna bring him on in just a moment. Uh, but first we have a, a quick word from one of our sponsors and, um, we're gonna play that now. Doug Hagman checking in from Branson, Missouri. What a conference. Portion Nice Broadcast brought to you by ZipRecruiter.com. Hey, are you hiring? You're looking for that special person to, to take care of business like business at our studio is taking care of? ZipRecruiter.com. That's the, the place to go. ZipRecruiter.com slash Hagman. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Hagman. One more time. You can try for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash Hagman. More on that later. All right. We're going to jump right into it now with our, our first guest, Michael Thompson. And first, John, let me bring you on. Uh, it's great for you to be here. I know we did three shows last week uh, on the evening show. Uh, and again, folks, John and I have a show, the Hagman Daily Show, airs each weekday, 2 to 3 p.m., and you can find the live and archive on Global Star Radio Network Channel 3, as well as Blog Talk Radio or any podcasting application. You can get the archive there. John, great to be here. Well, Joe, thank you so much, and uh, greetings and God's blessings to everyone who's chosen to join us here this evening on Monday, September 18th of 2017, of course. Uh, it has been such a blessing, uh, such an honor, really, to sit in for Doug, who, of course, is in transit. They are headed back home from the, from the big event this weekend, Joe, and I'm sure we'll get uh, little snippets of... Uh, sort of behind the scenes of uh, of what Doug's experiences uh, were like throughout the week. I couldn't ask for uh, a better guest to kick off Monday evening with than this gentleman who I cannot overemphasize how much Michael Thompson has done for the Hagman Report over the past year. Uh, we've been acquainted now for about a year. Michael Thompson uh, is over at WorldNet Daily, uh, WND.com. And uh, he has just brought such an amazing host of new guests to our program. And not only that, he's just a professional and, and an easygoing, super nice guy to work with. And uh, Michael Thompson, welcome to the Hagman Report. How are you, sir? 
Guys, I'm doing fantastic. I can't see you, but I, I think you can see me. <laughs> yeah, we can see you, Michael. It's it's great to have you on the show. Welcome, Michael. Guys, this is my second time coming on. First time where we had the video rock and roll, and, and I'm really excited to come on. Um, that's such an exciting time in our nation's history, and to be working with you guys. Uh, you guys do such a phenomenal job in bringing forth truth. Definitely a different vibe than what we saw last night at the Emmys when uh, <laughs> Middle America and your guys' audience was castigated and laughed at the entire telecast. And now, you know, you yeah. just get a chance to have some fun and laugh at them. You know, I did not wa- watch any of the clips, but I read a number of articles today about the Emmys. And, you know, Drudge really had a bunch of information up there earlier today. You know, they called it just a three-hour uh, Trump bashing fest. And at least in my in, – I've never really paid attention to these award shows, but it would be interesting to hear other people out there if they've ever witnessed an award show or even the culture of Hollywood that's become so politicized. And it's interesting to see these people, you know, make their – what they believe are, are, you know, moral arguments, whether it's for global warming or for immigration. But more often than not, these people – they sound unhinged and they look like fools when they get into this, um, you know, subject matter. Because a lot of times, especially for every average everyday Americans who are, you know, working hard every day and, and, you know, building their family, building up their, their lives to make a better life for themselves. And they see these entitled, um, you know, liberal minded Hollywood types that come out and just lecture them about how bad they are, how bad their, their president is. And I'm sure it gets very old very fast, especially coming from, you know, these kind of people. Well, let's be blunt. There's a lot of things that we could say negative about President Trump thus far and, mm-hmm. and hold him accountable for the promises he made in the campaign trail, which it's somewhat shocking how many how many ways he's gone back on a lot of his agenda that he hoped to implement. But you're right. The way that they treated your average American, again, um, just the way that they want to force this narrative of Donald Trump being the um, – the head white supremacist uh, in the country uh, again. It's 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 turning a lot of people off. And if if Trump could just go forward with a really pro-American, pro-middle class, and pro-working class agenda, I think that 2018 would be just an unbelievable sweep for the Republicans. But I, I don't think they're going to do that, unfortunately. Interesting, uh, interesting point of view, interesting lead off. And again, our guest, uh, for those just joining us is Michael Thompson from WorldNet Daily. Uh, this is his return appearance with us on the Hagman Report and hopefully, uh, the second of many more to come. Uh, interestingly, Michael, you were just, uh, making some points about the difference between candidate Trump and what we're seeing from President Donald Trump. Let's extrapolate that a little bit. Uh, give us just what, what in your opinion, uh, are the two or three biggies? The New York Times blog 538, it's uh, a fantastic analysis, wonderful site to, to read some of the best um, data available. They recently put out an article that showcased that Trump supporters in every state overwhelmingly thought immigration was the only issue that mattered in the 2016 election. And what we've seen with Donald Trump in office has been a complete departure from the candidate we saw who was talking about rescinding unconstitutional DACA day one. I mean, gosh, this guy was even talking about Trump deportation force to start rounding up illegal immigrants. And 
what we've seen recently is a president who could have allowed DACA to end in the courts because nine um, Republican-controlled states and the attorney generals in those states had actually passed or actually suing the federal government over DACA. And all, all, the, all the attorney general had to do in that case, attorney general Sessions, not pursue it in court. DACA's gone. But instead, we now have this strange dinner with Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. I, I think immigration has to be the, the biggest uh, disaster. I think also some of the conversation we're seeing today, uh, President Trump goes to the U.N., and I can remember when Donald Trump said, Americanism, not globalism, will be our credo. And today he talked about making the U.N. great again. Uh, what? I saw that. What? what? I, I kind of thought we were talking about pulling out of the United Nations. Uh, strange stuff, guys. Well, the way Donald Trump is, I would, I would say, not in his defense, just in general, that with the UN, uh, if the option to leave is not on the table, obviously he's gonna, uh, you know, wanna make the UN great again if he can't leave it. But Michael, let me ask you this. Do you think that Trump is not, what do you, what do you, where do you think the issues, uh, with him not going all the way like he was talking about in the campaign come from? Do you think they are from, um, those around him saying, no, you can't do this, you can't do that, you should do this instead. Do you think it's, uh, what do you think it is? Combination of what you just said, the fact that he has no ideology whatsoever to speak of himself. Doesn't have a coherent narrative that he focuses on. I know quite for a fact that Ann Coulter's book on uh, Adios America did play a large part in his evolution, so to speak, to understand the importance of immigration. But as we've seen with the departure of Gorka, as we've seen with the, the firing, uh, I can't remember the other gentleman's name. Was it Rich? Um, uh, I don't know. The gentleman who wrote that fantastic essay on the merger of globalism with radical Islam, and he was basically pushed out before Gorka left. And, of course, with Bannon, who I, I just think Bannon realized after the debacle surrounding the firing of the FBI, the head of the FBI, just how bad that was and what a turning point that was for the Trump presidency, even though you had this trumped up, ridiculous witch hunt going on with the um, the whole Russia narrative, which is totally false, as we all, as everyone listening to this show, we don't even do insult people's intelligence here. My point is Donald Trump doesn't have a specific ideology, but you only have one or two people who are presently in the pro-American anti-globalist camp really uh, advising him right now, and that would be Stephen Miller and that would be Michael Anton who famously wrote the Flight 93 essay that was so important to showcase how how the 2016 election really was going to be something uh, fundamental about a, a divergent path where America could go, either doubling down on Hillary and what the elite and what we saw, of course, back at the Emmys, this this really grotesque uh, cosmopolitan coastal elite hatred of middle Americans or Donald Trump playing footsie, best way to put it, playing footsie with, with, with middle Americans to, to win and to win the presidency. You know, that um, <laughs> I hope you're wrong in that, but you know, there's, there's indications and what you said about his ideology, not having an ideology, not having a, a narrative, to focus on or, or fall back on does explain a lot and would explain a lot. And John, thanks for, for finding that name. Uh, John said Rich Hagen was the man who left just, uh, uh before Higgins. Gorka. Higgins, Higgins. thank yes. you. 
Higgins. And, Michael, did you see that Steve Bannon interview on 60 Minutes last week? You know, I, I used to share emails three or four times a week with Steve Bannon before he was invited to become part of the Trump campaign. Steve Bannon is a personal hero of mine, and I did see the interview, and I recommend all your listeners go out and check it out. Um, it's yeah. fantastic. See, I, I didn't know much about um, Steve Bannon and what motivates him and why he uh, has the, the the views that he does. But it was pretty. It was a, it was a good interview, and I think he he um, he's a lot smarter than people give him credit for. Uh, he's a Harvard MBA. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I just think that if people don't know much about Bannon, I would urge them to watch that interview to get a better idea of who he really is. But um, kind of moving forward here, Michael, the Trump agenda. Do you see the say? Um, what do you see coming down the pike? Do you see anything on on taxes? Should we expect? Um, and what should we expect from Trump here before the end of the year versus what do you think is going to happen? If that's a, a good question to ask. Gosh, great question. And a depressing one because to answer it is to admit that I think this Republican uh, Congress, I mean, again, the Republicans control 26 states completely. They control, they control the House, they control the Senate, and they have the presidency. And what are they doing? Absolutely nothing. They're building a wall to stop the Trump agenda. And as we've seen, I think Trump, in his heart of hearts, legitimately wants to find a way to keep 800,000 to 1 to 1.5 million illegal immigrants here with DACA. And who cares about tax cuts? I mean, back in 19 and 1980, before Reagan's amnesty, I mean, I was born, I was born after Reagan's amnesty. Uh, so that tells you, you know, how old I am, but. I've got a lot of family in California, and I can tell you California used to be a Republican bastion. And then guess what happens? You grant amnesty. Um, you have that many millions more voters. And demography is, guess what, destiny. And California is the future for every state unless immigration controls are passed. And we do see some form of deportation of illegals. You're going to see Arizona. You're going to see Georgia. You're going to see North Carolina. And you're going to even see the mighty vaunted Texas go blue. And so who cares about tax cuts if, you know, they're momentary uh, when d- the the changes to America and the, the electorate, as we all know, um, uh, Hispanics and Asians are, are vastly um, more interested in voting for the Democratic Party than they are the Republican Party. And that's not going to change as... Bannon talks about how if the Democrats double down on identity politics, that's uh, that's a great thing for Republicans. Uh, you know, maybe on a macro level, but on a micro level, look what's happened to California. Look what's happening in places like New York. Look what's happening in places like Illinois. So tax cuts, uh, I just don't think that the Republicans who are up for re-election, uh, and there are a lot of senators up for re-election and a lot of Congress, and every congressman, of course, I think that everyone is still shell-shocked by what happened in 2017 with, with Trump winning. But at the same time, I think that it might have been just an anomaly, and it's going back to business as usual. And I regret to say that um, unless something serious is done on, on immigration, I'll tell you one thing I wish Trump would do. I wish Trump would speak out on what's happened in St. Louis, guys. Uh, Black Lives Matter Antifa terrorists are rioting in the name of a heroin dealer, kind of just like the Freddie Gray situation. 
Um, and they're attacking private businesses. They're injuring cops. And my gosh, they went to the mayor of St. Louis's house, uh, uh, this white liberal woman who, by the way, her husband was actually murdered in their driveway by a, um, by, uh, by a black guy. Uh, I think this was like 10 years ago. Um, my point is you have such liberal delusion in these places like St. Louis, yet Trump won't come in and just say what needs to be said about something very pro, pro cop, very pro law and order. That's the message that also won him the White House. Remember guys, remember when Dallas happened in 2016, when the five white cops were killed by the Black Lives Matter supporter, uh, 12, 12 cops were shot. Um, and it was it was a racial attack. It was a black on white racial attack. The day after, what did Hillary Clinton tweet? She said, "White people need to listen more." Um, <laughs> what? Uh, what? How? How crazy can you be to think that that's what needs to happen after you have this terrible attack, which was racially motivated in a way that we're not supposed to ever you know talk about. But my point is this, Donald Trump needs to come out and talk about St. Louis because they're canceling more and more public events, community events, because they don't have police to provide security because the police are under assault. That's the kind of stuff I want to see Donald Trump talk about because that has more permanence and more, that enables, that forces the left to go crazy when you actually have a president who supports the police as opposed to talking about, you know, Systemic bias and or implicit bias and systemic racism within the police. The reason why we have even these arrests to begin with. That's the kind of stuff that's going to excite the base, so to speak, and get working class Americans who are just shocked by this barbaric antifa, this Marxist behavior, um, that seemingly is allowed to run wild in America. Well, Michael, you make some interesting points and, and some disconcerting points. Uh, let's take a, a couple of them one at a time. Uh, first off, going back to your comments about uh, the DACA situation, uh, yep. you and I are both uh, old enough, we've been around long enough to recall the Elian Gonzalez optics uh, back in the 1990s. And that, as you were making the, the comments about immigration writ large, DACA in particular, I started thinking two things. Number one, I think President Trump may uh, have a certain fear of bad or poor optics at this point. And that kind of ties in vis-a-vis the media and how they treat him with what we saw last week with his uh, meeting, his dinner with uh, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. Is it possible that President Trump uh, realizes that he has a, I don't want to say an image problem because that doesn't really carry the levity uh, per se, but a communication problem. Perhaps he's suffering from the fact that in the United States in 2017, to a degree, perception is reality. And lastly, Michael, uh, do you get the sense that perhaps President Trump is beginning to feel like he has no friends in the Beltway? Oh, he has absolutely no friends in the Beltway. That, as someone who's in the Beltway, could tell you they hate this guy with every ounce of energy and being in their body, every fiber. About DACA and about perception, it's it's interesting you use those words because trending on Twitter today and yesterday, I believe, was Trump is a white supremacist, whereas Donald Trump has never said anything that could be even construed as, as I would argue, 
even construed as racism, you know, white supremacist, anything like that. On the contrary, Donald Trump is a colorblind uh, to his credit. He's he truly does believe that everyone should be treated equal before the law. Um, and there were rumors going around that he actually is excited for the first time in his presidency because he's getting a lot of positive press for his stance on DACA and wanting to work with the Democrats across the aisle. But they're still saying on Twitter, all these leftists, all these, all these verified blue check marks, uh, on Twitter, they're still saying this guy's a white supremacist. Go back a couple weeks ago to when The Economist ran a picture of Donald Trump with a, uh, Klansman bullhorn, um, as if he's, you know, the, the figurehead of, of, um, of this insignificant organization. Um, then there was another thing of, uh, I think it was on Time, or one of the magazines, another thing that tried to uh, position Trump in this manner. John, um, regardless of what Donald Trump does to work with the left, they're still going to hate him. They're not going to build any statues to Donald Trump if he passes DACA. You know, they're going to tear, <laughs> they're going to keep tearing all the ones to Thomas Jefferson and George Washington and renaming schools and roads for the founding fathers while they laugh at this, at this guy, uh, who, who, <laughs> who helped turn not just California permanently blue, but the entire country permanently blue. Well, Michael, uh, again, uh, interesting points. And I wonder, looking back at, uh, at the debacle last night that, that, uh, was the Emmys, the Emmy presentation, uh, uh having been a, a veteran of Hollywood uh, feature film and television production, I want to, I know you know this, Michael, but I want to inform our audience. The Emmys are not some sort of democratic, uh, grassroots uh type of of organization the emmys are what you could consider the epitome of the collectivist hive that is hollywood the the decision makers um and some of the retired decision makers uh in hollywood really are the people who uh really are the people who uh, cast the votes and uh, decide who gets a statue and who doesn't and I've actually worked on a few programs, uh, incidentally, where we did win some Emmys. But when you look at this collectivist mentality, and uh, re- to remind our listeners, uh, and thank you, Michael, we had just this past Friday Charles Sasser uh, on in the third hour, Crushing the Collective. I think what we're seeing here, uh, Michael Thompson, is a situation where this Trump's a racist thing is uh, what's stuck. The, the 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 mainstream fake stream media has been throwing it against the wall since the day he was well really since the day he was elected but certainly since the inaugural and this racism one has stuck and then we see these explosions these these epicenters of of extreme violence like St. Louis and when we look at St. Louis it it appears that President Trump has a communications problem Michael agree with that entirely I think that. He's so quick to tweet. I mean, remember the other day when he tweeted those strange things about DACA and about we can't let these kids go. They've been in this country. You know, they didn't come here. They didn't choose to come here. Their parents brought them here. That was the most worrisome tweet I've ever seen Donald Trump do because regardless of that, the what you call the collectivist mind, they're going to still pounce upon this idea that has branded Trump from the left, that he is this racist, that he is this bigot. That he is the embodiment of the last gasp of white America. You, you, you saw that after the election. What, what did um, 
the guy on CNN say this was a white lash or something. It's, it was crazy. It was nutty. Um, but it's what sticks. And I, I wish I could say that Donald Trump was going to be hiring some really good people in communications, but the only people that Donald Trump seems to be hiring right now are beltway types who were working for his competition within the GOP primaries. He, you know, personnel, they say it all the time, personnel is policy. And he's made it his policy to hire few people who had anything to do with the MAGA concept during the primaries. So, some people you've had on this show, I won't name their names, you know who I'm talking about. Um, they had been in discussion during the transition team to work for the Trump administration. Some very good young people about my age, you know, I'm 33. Um, and unfortunately it just didn't happen because the swamp took over the transition team and they are in firm control of the presidency and they are not letting anyone with an ounce of loyalty to that Americanism concept. You have to have that loyalty just look who's in charge of the UN for the United States, who, who he has, uh, yeah. you know, delegating, uh, policy with the UN. The former governor of South Carolina, who is, who is a committed globalist. Uh, globalism, unfortunately, is what motivates the people who are the architects behind the scenes of the Trump communication team. And if I could say one thing real quick, um, we got one minute left, Michael, so go for it. Oh, perfect. WND, we're so happy to be partners with Hagman Report. We do, uh, immediate articles based on the interviews that, um, that Doug and, and everyone performs here with our personalities. We've had some amazing personalities appear on the Hagman Report. And I, I just want to do something tonight and I hope you guys can start doing a little bit more. If you guys go to superstore.wnd.com, superstore.wnd.com, Put whatever you want into your cart, anything on the site. Uh, we have awesome stuff from conservative books, fantastic Christian uh, books and documentaries, awesome prepper stuff. Put anything you want in your cart. When you check out, use promo code HAGMAN10. That's H-A-G-M-A-N-N and the numerals 1 and 0. Put that into your pro- as a promo code. You're going to get 10% off your order, and more importantly, a portion of that sale is going to go to help out the Hagman Report, um, help out their operations, to help their expansion, uh, and we're we're just so happy to be able to work with a, a burgeoning voice and the patriotic movement, and uh, just one of the growing one of the industry leaders, I would say, when it comes to doing just phenomenal, phenomenal work. Michael Thompson, thank you so much. WorldNet Daily is the website. And we look forward to having you on. And thank you so much for bringing some of the greatest guests that we have on the show, Michael. You have a good day. Guys, have a great one. We'll be right back after these messages. Don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. We will be right back. In a thrilling series of novels, T.C. Joseph takes us into the lives of three families who struggle to maintain normal lives in a world where conspiracy theory and Bible prophecy collide. T.C. Joseph's viewpoint of alternative history and understanding of prophetic events will change your view of the world and the events on our horizon. Kirkus Review states... 
Readers of End Times Fiction will be hard-pressed to find it done more intriguingly than this. Extremely readable and fast-paced. Blue Wink Reviews boldly states, Fans of Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series and Tom Parada's The Leftovers will find this thought-provoking series absolutely riveting. Order your copies of T.C. Joseph's This Generation series from Amazon.com. Book 1, Precipice. Book 2, Pentecost. And Book 3, Penance. Uncertain times, it makes sense to have a sustainable backup method to cook food and boil water. If your current plan includes using a fuel burning stove or cooking over an open fire, then there's a much better way. The Miniman Rocket Stove is a biomass burning cooking stove that only requires small quantities of sticks and twigs for fuel. The Miniman Stove is easy to use, smokeless, portable, powerful, and sustainable. For the finest in survival cooking stoves and fire starters made right here in the USA, go to MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden. Exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stain by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stain by Blood. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, uh, to our second segment on this Monday edition. Joe Hagman here along with John Robertson. And we just got done talking with Michael Thompson from WorldNet Daily. And, uh, you know, he, he's been working together with us. And WorldNet Daily has partnered up with us and just doing a fantastic job of bringing uh, top-notch guests on who have very timely and interesting things to say, as well as um, the discount on books that our listeners get. Uh, so much there, and we could talk to Michael Thompson for a whole three-hour show. He had a family night tonight, so he uh, he took the time to go do that. And thank you, Michael. Folks, go to HagmanReport.com. Check out the stories that are up there. Peter Chowka has a story up there. St. Louis Blues, Gateway City Erupts, and Democrat Socialists Own It. That is a, a very interesting story. It gives a synopsis of what happened in a timeline of events since the not guilty verdict for the police officer charged with murder on Friday, uh, Jason Stokely. And it goes through, you know, what has happened with the three nights of violent protests and clashes with police. Yesterday, 80, in, 80 arrested, five officers injured. And I'm wondering if they will continue through tonight. It doesn't look like it, it might. 
as uh, some articles on Drudge indicate that the local businesses are taking a financial hit due to the unrest as well as um, damages from people running around smashing windows and whatnot. So read that article that Peter Chowka wrote. It's very interesting, and we'll keep our eye on St. Louis. We also have um, a number of other interesting stories, John, and we have this half hour. We can take it wherever you want to go. But one article from, from Hagman Report I want to make sure people read. It's the first article I posted today, Christians Beat FEMA and in doing so, tame big government. This is from the newspaper, the Washington Times, and it talks about how faith-based groups and Christian non-profits have provided more assistance and aid to hurricane victims than FEMA has and other uh, mainstream charity charitable organizations. And this speaks to the uh, nature of, of Christians, and not only that, Americans in general, as they band together to get things done and to help one another, uh, specifically those who are in need of hurricane relief. We've seen a number of horror stories from the Red Cross to FEMA, people being kept in shelters for days, even weeks after the storm's over. Um, the Florida Keys, part of that's still inaccessible. Uh, rescue workers are actually being turned away from going down there uh, by FEMA, by the Red Cross. And interestingly enough, there is another uh, Hurricane Maria that is hitting the islands down there, and it'll be interesting to see where that goes. It jumped from a Category 1 today to a Category 4, hitting already uh, battered islands by other uh, Hurricane Irma, or Irma. I'm sorry. And it'll be interesting to see what happens with this hurricane. So we're going to get into uh, what Michael Thompson said. We're going to get into uh, some of the latest news on Hagman Report, as well as other important stories and then we have with us next hour uh, Republican chick. She's going to be joining us for an hour. And then we are closing out the night with Dane Wigington of geoengineeringwatch.org. That's going to be a very interesting piece as we see uh, this very heavy hurricane season. People are asking, is weather manipulation going on? And we're going to talk and get Dane's insight as to what he thinks is happening. But first, we're going to bring you a quick word from one of our sponsors. Doug Hagman, on my way back from Branson, and I'm just so thankful for our staff at the Hagman Studios for handling things. Where do you find people like that? Where do you find such great people to take care of business? I'll tell you where. ZipRecruiter.com. You see, with ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites with just one click. Then their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job better than anyone else. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter does not depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. As a matter of fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within one day. There's no juggling emails or calls to your office, no hassle like that. You simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. Now, right now, as listeners to my show, you can post your jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Hagman. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Hagman. One more time to try for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash Hagman. And welcome back to the Hagman Report on this Monday evening, September 18th, 2017. And a personal thanks uh, to Doug Hagman. Thank you so much, Doug, for the honor 
uh, to sit in this chair uh, this evening and the previous three evenings last week. Joe, some uh, some grim uh, some grim observations from our friend Michael Thompson here uh, in the first half hour. Yeah, you know, it's um, interesting when we look and, and examine the Trump presidency, you know, what exactly is going on in his mind, um, how much of his agenda that he ran on was just what Michael Thompson said and was uh, pandering to a political base rather than actually wanting to accomplish these things as president. And, you know, these are questions we really can't answer. Uh, I don't know Donald Trump personally, and uh, even people who do don't really comment on this. He seems genuine. At the same time, he does seem, uh, it seems like either he did not have the agenda he ran on that he wants to implement, or he's being hindered, massively hindered, in being able to uh, push some of these things through. But, you know, uh, as Eric said during the break when we were asking, uh, John asked my opinion and Eric's opinion, and Eric said, you know, this is what we asked for. We voted for Trump. So we get the good and the bad and the ugly. Um uh, regardless of what that is. But I don't know. Yeah, I mean, uh, just as many questions um, about what's going on in this administration as as any before. And we see um, different strategies that have been employed, a huge rotating door of personnel that has uh, changed since he's actually taken office, and he's only been in office a few months, what, seven, eight months. So a lot of questions. Again, um, you know, what are we going to see moving forward from here? Is Trump going to fulfill more of his campaign promises? We understand that the Congress is terrible right now. At the same time, we have an election coming up next year where some of these seats will be open. But as far as his agenda, um, you know, I'm going to remain optimistic and hope that he still gets things done. At the same time, I understand the opposition that he faces if he tries to even, uh, whether he believes it or not, move forward the agenda that he ran on during the campaign. Well, uh, Joe, I'm, I'm in agreement with your, your sentiment overall. I, too, remain optimistic. And let's not forget that 60-plus million Americans uh, voted for President Trump. Uh, the title of this evening's show, Reality Versus the American Dream. And uh, when I titled the show this afternoon, I had no idea what Michael Thompson was going to lead off with. And, uh, again, Michael, thank you for joining us. Uh, coming up in the second hour, we have a debut guest. Uh, she goes by Republican Chick. Her name is Jimena Barato. And interestingly, Joe, uh, as you know, she was born in Colombia and is a conservative, a young conservative. And uh, we're going to get her take on the whole DACA thing as well. So let's let's side table that for a moment. But I want to encourage all of our listeners and viewers right now to just pause for a moment and ask the question that the title this evening implies. Today, September 18th, 2017, what is our reality versus the American dream? We know that more money is loaned and spent on higher education than even the home mortgage uh, sector. We know that we are $20 trillion in debt, and that doesn't include all of the unfunded liabilities. Basically, to put that in layperson's terms, promises made by governments, municipal, state, and federal that will ultimately be broken. And, you know, I was asking many guests last week, uh, as we look at the end of the year, uh, is it possible, Joe, that President Trump will give the American people a big, fat Christmas present, either the wall, uh, tax reform, or perhaps you know one of the other major pieces of his agenda? And if I'm being perfectly honest, really just 
kind of bare knuckle, bare knuckle blunt right now. Um, I'm concerned for the president. I, I really am. It, it seems like, how do I put this in words? I'm, it seems like we're, we're missing a proactive approach. And as I mentioned to Michael Thompson, Joe, it feels like there's a significant miscommunication happening that, that didn't exist with candidate Trump. It felt like candidate Trump, much like Ronald Reagan 30 years ago, spoke directly to us. And many times listening to his speeches, Joe, I felt like, yeah, right on, you know, please cut our taxes. Uh, please enable me, sir, to hold on to a few more bucks each year. Absolutely. Yep. Having lived in L.A. for 18 years, please do something about the massive flood of immigration. You know, remember, folks, immigration is not necessarily just a cultural issue. It's a financial one, too. What do you think, Joe? No, absolutely it is. Not only um, immigration, but the massive amounts of social welfare programs that go to able-bodied people who are, you know, very capable of, of working. And, I mean, it's just, it's crazy to see that, you know, the national debt, $20 trillion and climbing, you have, um, the taxes are, are just ridiculously high and uh, people need a break. I, I think the two main issues that were in the election cycle with Trump was immigration and health care, and also the economy is right up there with those other two issues, jobs specifically inside that economy uh, subtitle. So, you know, people, the people want to see significant changes, not only in uh, implementing and following, you know, legal immigration policies, but also uh, getting some of their, their paycheck back in their pocket each and every week. We see that we have uh, interesting growth numbers where there's either uh, a whole lot of confidence in the market or the market has gotten stronger over the last year, which I think it's more confidence than actually getting stronger. You have, uh, you know, 3% growth, which under Obama you only had 1.5%, and the 1.5% is, is basically what they kind of growth they had during the Great Depression. So as we see more jobs, as we see more confidence in the market, it'd be good to see some of the money coming back uh, that Americans put in through taxes each and every week back into their pockets. Immigration, you know, um, there's a lot of different ways we can go with immigration, but just enforce the laws that are already on the books as far as immigration versus illegal immigration. We can't have sanctuary cities. We can't have massive, massive amounts of illegal uh, immigrants here, you know, uh, taking part in the welfare system, taking part in Social Security. It's not fair to each and every person who immigrated here legally and then to the American citizens uh, if you're going to be giving these shortcuts. So you need to enforce the laws that are on the books. And in healthcare, we know, is a mess, and Congress can't get anything done. But I think those are the three issues, you know, the economy, immigration, and healthcare that people want to see some changes in and they want to see them now. And we see that he's trying to get the wall done. We see that uh, health care, he tried to put a repeal and replace through. It, it didn't work. The House and the Senate can't agree on People even inside the House can't agree on, on a way to move health care forward. And we have taxes, which they said that they'd have something on the books by September or October, and it's looking like they're going to have to push that back as well. And this is, I expected this, uh, you know, gridlock in, in some um, time periods of the Trump presidency, but it seems like every time the, the deep state, uh, you know, gets a, a foot on Trump, they take a mile regardless, so... It'll be interesting to see what happens between now and the end of the year as we just closed out or are closing out the end of the business year uh, at the end of this month. 
Excellent points. You know, our previous guest, Michael Thompson, stated demography is destiny. And I like that. It's got nice alliteration. But essentially it means that the people are our destiny. And you make an excellent point, Joe, with immigration versus illegal immigration. And, you know, I was thinking back to uh, 2010, uh, 2011, Right about the time I first found the Hagman Report, I used to listen to Gerald Salente a lot. And we've had Mr. Salente on as a guest a number of times, and we will continue to do so. Uh, he, of course, is the founder and editor-in-chief of uh, Trends Journal. Uh, but I remember, Joe, during the Arab Spring, uh, Gerald Salente used to say that there will be an American Spring. Mm-hmm. You know, and, <clears throat> and I would venture to say, and I don't want to be, I don't want to use hyperbole here, I don't want to exaggerate, but I would venture to say that if you look at all of the optics of the whole Antifa thing going back to Milo in February, uh, up to St. Louis here over the last couple of days. When you look at the natural disasters, of course, those are, those are not man-made per se. We'll talk with Dane Wigington in hour three about that. When you see essentially paralysis out of the White House, that, that's what's going on here is that for a number of reasons, and it feels like those reasons are so convoluted, they're so symbiotic and intertwined it's hard to pull them apart you know is is it the mm-hmm. revolving door is it uh is it what would be considered um uh, uh intrigue within the palace palatial intrigue you know kind of the the halls of versailles type thing are there too mm-hmm. many backstabbers among him is he getting poor advice from his family you know uh another thing that michael thompson mentioned is uh make the united nations great again okay so that would be hashtag munga Munga munga. That doesn't even sound good. <laughs> That's funny. Um, no, you know that. See, I, I did uh, see that he gave his first speech to the UN. I have not seen the speech or any read any of the articles uh, on this. But one thing that I saw on on Drudge here, it talks about the uh, Trump and the UN saying, you know, Trump bashes, U, Trump slams UN in first appearance. This in an article from the New York Post, where it talks about Trump's first UN appearance, uh, uses an inaugural address at the UN Monday to criticize the world body for not living up to its potential because of bureaucracy and urged member nations to reject business as usual and take bold stands. In recent years, the United Nations has not received its full potential because of bureaucracy and mismanagement, Trump said of the organization during a meeting on reforms. Despite what a ballooning budget and doubling of staff since 2012, Trump says we are not seeing the results in line with this investment. Now, one of the things about the UN, it's a it's majority US fund, US funds the majority of the UN's activities. And one thing I think Trump really should do in keeping a campaign promise if he can't get us out of the UN is to take away the United States taxpayer dollars that go to fund the UN and much of what they do. But I don't think he'll be allowed to do that or won't do it either way, if I had to guess. But, I mean, you really want to take away the bureaucracy, the power of that bureaucracy that he's complaining about? Defund them. Then you'll begin to see results in them getting things done. I don't know, John, what you think about that, but... They uh, aren't going to change anything as long as they're, you know, continuing to collect huge paychecks and, and money and, um, you know, have these, these cushy jobs and titles where they're just a lot of talk. Well, uh, it's an interesting question. And of course, I would suggest to all of our listeners and viewers, do, when you, when you have time, and this really is worth looking into, do an extensive, uh, 
search, do a little little citizen investigation into the history of the UN, the actual terra firma that the building is built on, who owned it, and who are some of the key influential people <clears throat> that actually formed uh, the UN and its predecessor, the League of Nations. So uh, it's been, in my opinion, a, a bureaucratic diplomatic mess since day one when you see countries like Syria and Saudi Arabia on the uh, on the human rights uh, council. I mean, it's just it's it's a mess. Uh, but going back to President Trump, Joe, I, I want to ask you. This may be overly simplistic, folks, but J- Joe, do you sense that that rather than get a good bead on a single issue, okay, like like with a deer rifle, get a good bead on it, it's one shot, it's one and done. Uh, that perhaps President Trump is taking too much of a shotgun approach here. That it seems like he's over here, he's over there, he's over here, he's over, and and then of course with this revolving door issue, uh, many of his key people who would have projects piled up sky high on their desks all of a sudden no longer have a desk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know. Um, <laughs> we can sit here and try to figure out uh, the, you know, what is really the driving force behind Trump and and his uh, actions. I would say as a president, you have to have not a shotgun approach, but at least a, a shotgun approach with the understanding and knowledge uh, to back it up with facts and and uh, you know good arguments. If it if it comes to that, and while it seems like you know jumping around in all these different areas that he's dabbling in, at the same time as a president, this is something you have to do. You throw some stuff like the media; they throw stuff out there to see what sticks, and they run with what sticks. I think the president, in in a to a large degree, does that as well. To see what kind of responses he gets from media or Twitter when he, you know, throws these different ideas and things out. And when we know, um, with Trump, he doesn't have that, that big filter on his mouth. You know, he, he goes where he wants to go and, um, you know, he watches the, the after effects, whether they're positive or negative, no matter what. One thing that really bothers me and concerns me about Trump is, um, I don't know if it, if it's his ego, his personality, whatever part of him, that needs validation from the media or, uh, you know, to sit there and watch news shows all day, uh, all day long and to, to tweet about them. That, that part bugs me a little bit. Don't mind the Twitter, but, um, you know, you have to wonder at, at what point do you, you stop worrying about the media and start worrying about your, your base. Um, and maybe we'll see that if, you know, more people speak out against him not getting things done. Well, you, you may. You make an interesting point there. I've always felt, I don't have a problem, Joe, with, uh, the president using Twitter. It's always felt a little bit kitschy for the commander in chief, the chief executive. Uh, some people would say the leader of the free right. world. Um, <clears throat> but a question that, uh, just popped into my mind, and I think it's really worth exploring here, uh, Joe. Do the American people need to come together en masse in a different way to support President Trump. I mean, let's be honest. He has no, uh, Michael Thompson uh, agreed with, with this supposition. He has no friends in the Beltway. He's got a rhino Congress, uh, most of whom wanted to see Ted Cruz or even better, a big fat globalist like Jeb Bush get in. I mean, can you even believe Jeb Bush tried to run for president? Yeah, I can. <laughs> and then you've got these, these kooky, crazy Democrats, you know, the, the the whole Nancy Pelosi ilk all the way down to Maxine Waters. So if he has no support from the rhinos and he has no support from the Democrats, then where is his support, Joe? Well, his support is not with the establishment people in Washington. His support is with the uh, American people 
individually, and we have to understand that the reality of these people in Washington, D.C. is completely separate from the reality of the rest of the country out there. And these people are corrupt to their core, have no sense of, of you know, hard work and, and, you know, regular life. But what one thing is, is uh, interesting is the amount of polls that are done that show how, how many of his supporters will stand by him no matter what. And I think that's a, a good indicator uh, to a degree about where his support will be regardless of the way um, his opinions go either way. Um, at the same time, he needs to get things done that he promised he would to his base. Otherwise, they could abandon him in the next next election cycle. And, you know, presidents still are have to go through primaries. He's not guaranteed to be the nominee in 2020. So he's going to have to get some things done in order to, to regain that respect of all the supporters that made it possible him, for him to vote or for him to be president who voted in the 2016 election. And on the other side of that election was Hillary Clinton, who somehow is still in the news. And the only reason I'm bringing it up is just because of this, John. Hillary, in an interview with NPR today, is questioning the legitimacy of the 2016 election results and told the interviewer that she would not rule out legally challenging the win, election win of President Trump, saying that I would not rule it out, although there is no legal path moving forward, challenging election results at this point would be unprecedented. But she goes on to say, scholars... Uh, academics and other people have argued that it would be possible. I don't think they're on strong ground, but people are making those arguments, and I just don't think we have a mechanism, Clinton said. Again, <laughs> you know, she well, just won't go away. No, she certainly won't. You know, I think Hillary Clinton's spending some late nights with the uh, Chardonnay, and she's listening to that old Warren Zavon song, uh, Lawyers, Guns, and Money. I think that's about where her head is at, but... uh you know, uh, Joe, the, 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 <laughs> She's out of her mind. the, the primary problem here, uh, this evening, this Monday evening, September 18th, is that we already have one major campaign promise broken by President Trump. And I want to reiterate, folks, I still stand behind the president and I, I remain optimistic. I want him to succeed. I want to see him make America great again. I, I it's amazing that we have somebody who's really promised to put America first standing in after 24 years of globalism in the White House. But, Joe, we already have one campaign promise broke, and that is that Hillary Clinton is free to talk to NPR. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, there, were, there was another article where she did today where she she talked about uh, Hillary had no idea why people were chanting lock her up during the election. And she <laughs> goes on to tell NPR the same interview that she gave about... Um, <laughs> possibly challenging the election results she goes on to say um the first time i heard i was actually aware of hearing lock her up was at the republican convention i think it went on before that i did not pay a lot of attention to it and thought okay fine he's whipping up crowds he's throwing them red meat and i'm exhibition a but when they brought it inside to their convention so that it became in effect part of the historic record of the general election I was stunned. I thought, what are they talking about, and why are they saying this? Because Clinton has no idea why anybody would want her in jail. <laughs> Tech Eric is uh, yeah. Tech Eric is choking on his uh, on his. And gonna, rightfully so. <laughs> if we go dark, uh, if we go dark, ladies and gentlemen, it's simply because uh, our production manager and studio IT Tech Eric is dead. She she goes on to say <laughs> that 
it was not only wrong, because obviously there was no basis for it, but it was just politics at a high level, at the highest level, affected by the most dangerous partisan hyperbole, Clinton said. So I think that's pretty funny. You know, we are amazed every time we hear how arrogant and uh, crazy she is. But every time she opens her mouth and does another interview, even more craziness comes out. I think she's trying to stay relevant, stay in the news cycle. I don't know. Well, it's bringing a certain so dark whoops. joy to it's bringing a certain dark joy to our lives, folks. We'll be right back. Hagman Report. Greenovative. Go to HagmanReport.com. Click on the link to Greenovative. But what Greenovative is, it's a small company in Florida. They created something called the GMAG Power Cell. It produces electricity by adding salt water to this unit that recharges rechargeable batteries. It's the coolest thing you'll ever see in your life. It's really neat. Really a, a super device. All right, You need just two teaspoons of ordinary table salt, a little water, but a bang, you're charging your rechargeable batteries. Super GMAG chargeable is affordable. It's lightweight, weighs about 8 ounces. It's durable. It's EMP proof. And it's environmentally friendly. Yeah, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, six AA batteries off the grid when other power sources aren't available anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night. Go to greenovative.com. That's greenovative.com. Folks, in these uncertain times, it just makes sense to have a sustainable backup method for accomplishing one of life's most important tasks, that's preparing food. This is the way to go. There is nothing better than a Minuteman rocket stove from MinutemanStove.com. We all need a way to cook and a method to process water. I mean, think about it. Think about the many things that could happen to you. Minuteman rocket stove can provide your family or group the perfect solution. It's small, lightweight, wood-burning, and every bit as powerful as a kitchen stove. It's smoke fully self-contained for clean storage and transport. Because it's so efficient, it cuts down on your wood gathering and processing chores to a tenth what would be required if cooking the old-fashioned way over an open fire. So don't rely on gas or fuel stoves. Prepare your family. Prepare for yourself. Order a Minuteman rocket stove today. It's going to make bad times much better. Folks, MinutemanStove.com. MinutemanStove.com. Need I say more? You should have a Minuteman, the survival stove in an ammo can. For investors, Timberland has become the symbol of safety. Global tropical timber demand continues to surge as the world's population increases. The need for managed, sustainable timber production forests has never been greater. When stock markets crash, trees keep growing. Direct ownership of fully managed tropical timberland acreage is now available to accredited investors. Prime, valuable hardwood groves close to the beautiful Costa Rican border generate and maintain superior long-term wealth. Consider visiting our forest plantations. 
Qualified, accredited investors should go to PreciousTimberProfits.com or dial 855-888-6288 for more information. Call 855-888-6288 or visit PreciousTimberProfits.com. This announcement does not constitute either an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offering made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288, PreciousTimberProfits.com. PreciousTimberProfits.com. to this hour number two on this Monday edition of the Hagman Report. Joe Hagman here along with John Robertson filling in for my dad. He should be back on the show tomorrow. Folks, don't forget our two new shows. Well, they're relatively new now. The uh, Hagman Daily Show, which John and I do on a daily basis, 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Time. And you can catch those archives through Blog Talk Radio or any podcast app. But to make it easy, just go to HagmanReport.com. And on the top of the page, there's two ways to access it, two new shows or listen, and you can click those buttons and find the show. Also, my father has the Doug Hagman Show, which airs 9 to 10 on uh, Monday through Friday, and he's been doing a great job with that show. But today, John and I talked about the race relations in the country in the wake of the, uh, the St. Louis riots that have been ongoing and we look at the uh, division that is created through the racial divide and point out some of the different things that are ongoing in our country pertaining to race relations that are, uh, you know, just keeping this country ideologically uh, divided, politically divided. I mean, it's it's pretty bad, especially when we see the constant violence, regardless of the, the facts of the actual shootings. Like in this instance in St. Louis, this guy ran rammed a cops with his car and then apparently had a gun on him and uh, would not comply with the officer's orders. All those facts are irrelevant. It doesn't matter if they have a gun. It doesn't matter if they're shooting at cops. When it fits, when the story fits the mainstream media's narrative of what they can push as an injustice, that's exactly what they do, creating more hatred and division. And we break that down in the show today. Um, coming up, we have the uh, Republican chick, and John again. How do we say this? Uh, <laughs> Jimena Barreto. Jimena Barreto. She okay. is uh, from Colombia, and she's a debut guest. And we're going to have a lot of uh, we're going to have a lot of fun in this hour. But we're also going to, I think, be educated uh, by Jimena, yeah. who grew up. Uh, she was born in uh, in Bogota, Colombia, uh, in a very difficult time in that that country's history. And you know, Joe, we're probably going to learn firsthand uh, what. <clears throat> I would say even more pronounced corruption uh, in the government is like. Yeah. Um, and let's and let's hope you know, as we look at St. Louis in the wake of St. Louis, as we consider the commentary from our first hour guest Michael Thompson from WorldNet Daily, as we try to make sense of of all of these different things going on on the, as Joe mentioned on the Hagman Daily Show today, we talked about the fact that the mainstream media is irresponsibly trying to foment a race war in this country. It's that's simply what they're trying to do, and they're trying to make that narrative stick every day, so that people hurt one another based on their skin color or where they were born, and that is a major abomination to God as well, I might add. Uh, so Jimena's coming up here momentarily, but I just want to uh, uh, reiterate also what Joe said about the the incident in St. Louis. Uh, 
a point I made today on the Hagman Daily Show, and I'd like to, to sort of make that point again here this evening, is that myself, Joe, all of us on Team Hagman, we are 100% against the notion that police, any police anywhere for any reason, would shoot somebody with legitimately with their hands up. I mean, mm-hmm. hands up, don't shoot is a very legitimate uh, basic right of American citizens, or any human being for that matter. The problem Most is, of the time, yeah. Correct. The problem is, and again, back to Peter Barry Chaka's article, folks, you can find that on the uh, homepage at hagmanreport.com. This perpetrator, this suspect, drove his car directly at police and a police vehicle. Now, uh, Joe reminded me to, that in the state of Pennsylvania, as well as the state of California, that's considered a lethal attack against a, a law enforcement officer. They have the right to shoot right then and there. So it's important that we that we 100% are behind the concept of hands up, don't shoot. But hands up, don't shoot has to be legitimately defined. And what we see in many of these cases, particularly the explosion, Joe, in Ferguson, and more recently here in St. Louis, is it's like the boy that cries wolf. Uh, these people, uh, their message is being, uh, uh, it's being diluted because so mm-hmm. many of these are just a black on white issue. They don't look at the specifics of the crime. And again, uh, I see daily an attempt to foment race war. And we here at the Hagman Report uh, are, we, we stand stolidly against that. Joe? We have with us our guest, Jaimena Beretta, Beretto, the Republican chick, and she joins us, and uh, we have so much to get into. Miss um, Beretto, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and about the history and, and what got you onto the current path that you're on right now? Well, um, I moved here about 10 years ago, but I grew up in... Bogota, Colombia during the drug wars. My dad was actually a law enforcement officer. And you know back then in nineteen in the 90s uh, Escobar put like a number on each person, you know. So my dad was killed when I was six. Uh, and then my family is very Republican. So uh, then I moved here um, and I, I always have, uh, volunteer in different, uh, campaigns and whatnot. And I'm very involved in a lot of, uh, volunteering with military and gold star families, nonprofits. Well, Jimena, welcome to the Hagman Report. And it's, uh, such an honor and a privilege to, to have you join us here this evening. Uh, you can follow Jimena's work at the republicanchick.com. And also, uh, definitely take a look at her Twitter feed. And I think that's how Jimena first came across our radar here at the Hagman Report. So, Jimena, getting into your story a little bit, uh, you were born in Bogota, Colombia, and your father was a cop. And yeah. during... Law enforcement. The... Okay. So, uh, drug. Uh, DEA, kind of. It's called DEAs in Colombia, mm-hmm. but it's the same as DEA. Mm-hmm. And, and so you were six years old, certainly old enough to have, have, to a degree, gotten to know him, and 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 then you had this yeah. massive uh, c- catastrophe, tragedy happen in your family. Mm-hmm. Uh, was your family already of the conservative, uh, leaning conservative politically, or was the death of your father and and all of the corruption in Colombia at that time sort of what uh, what 
pushed your family more toward a, a conservatism? How, how did that how did that affect your well, family? You, I think there is a view overall that people think that Latinos are Democrats, but it's not. Like I think it really depends in the country, you know, and Colombia. At least Bogota is very conservative, you know, and it has to do with the religion too. But I mean, my, all my family is Republican, so uh, I I just think that that's a stigma right there because I would say like majority of my friends that are Hispanic are very conservative, you know, like we're pro-life and fiscally conservative, and we work hard. So I I just think that's that's just something that maybe here in the United States, the people that come here illegally have adopted, you know, those views because the Democratic Party gives them free handouts, you know. But yeah. I would say majority of Latinos are very conservative because we're very family-oriented and religious. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that really bugged me about the 2016 election between Trump and Hillary was we saw a massive amount of support for Trump by uh, a number of Latino communities. And mm-hmm. the mainstream media refused, because it did not fit their narrative, they refused to cover it. I mean, we saw parades before his rallies in those communities, and just so much of the mobilization that was so common with the Trump base. But the media painted a different picture of that, mm-hmm. and they refused yeah. to, to even uh, suggest that no, minorities like, in any way are in support of Trump because it does not fit their narrative. It, he actually got 28% of Latinos. So actually, uh, Jorge Herrera, you can find him uh, on Twitter. We created uh, Latinos with Trump, and we were endorsed by the campaign. Uh, and we we try to you know like I went in many interviews in Univision and Telemundo and they will just cut me off you know like when I like Jorge mm-hmm. Ramos for example he employs illegals and I I one life I'm like why are you not helping them to get their citizenship like fix their status like what you're doing is slavery you know they're using these people. Uh, instead of helping them become a citizen, that that goes to the same thing with the DACA deal. They they were bashing Trump, uh, but why are not they bashing Obama? Obama gave them crumbs in the form of a work permit. If he really wanted to help them, he could have given them a path of citizenship. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's just a smear campaign, uh, and and you know, I just think that. No matter what, they're gonna keep the media is gonna keep smearing him and try to sabotage him. So I just think like people like me and others just need to keep speaking up so we keep, you know, uh, calling them out on their lies. Agreed uh, completely, Jimena. Again, uh, for those just joining us, our guest this hour is Jimena uh, Barreto. Uh, the Republican Chick, and you can find her work at therepublicanchick.com. Jimena, uh, well, first of all, I just want to reiterate something you said a moment ago. Imagine this. Uh, the, the Hillary Clinton camp, the DNC, tried to delegitimize 28% of President Trump's vote. Is that what I heard you say, Jimena? Yeah. 28%. And it actually, uh, 
I think I forgot. I think it was one of the major uh, poll companies. They run a, one not long ago, and it says that now Latinos, 40% of Latinos, are supporting Trump on his uh, immigration stance. And that was I would say a month ago. I will have to to get the exact uh, date, but it was a month ago. So, and those are the ones that are being polled. You know, I'm not being polled, and there's others that hide who they vote. <laughs> So I guarantee you there has to be more than 40%. Well, I can assure you we're, we're, we at the Hagman Report are not being polled either. Uh, I want to talk uh, for a moment here about March for Justice. Uh, we curated this from Halsey News, and we've had Stephanie on the Hagman Report before. Uh, but mm-hmm. before we go there, uh, Jimena, just anecdotally from your personal experience, let's talk about the the conservatism generationally with, with the uh, enormous... Um, I would say almost explosion of Latinos into the United States. Let's let's say since nineteen the nineteen nineties. Is it a generational thing uh, in your experience, Jimena, or is it uh, or our <clears throat> excuse me our families actually coming to the United States already uh, having the same conservative values vis a vis the uh, political structure of their home I country? I just think it has to. I mean, since the Reagan amnesty, and then I don't know if you are aware with the. Since 1990, in the 90s, there was a vote in California that uh, illegal immigrants couldn't get any services. I think that's when the things started flipping, because then the Democrats took advantage of that, and like, here, we're going to give you uh, services and benefits. So that's when the chip happened. You know, like, well, we're conservative because we believe in pro-life, and we work hard, and we like saving money and all these things, but then when you have someone making it easy for you, you know, then then your views change. And also, another thing that I, I was in One American News not long ago, and I was telling them, you have to understand that since the Reagan amnesty, at least the majority of people in California know someone that is here illegally, so it would take the stress out of that segment of the population, I will guarantee you that they will start voting Republican because I was told man, multiple times during the campaign and and doing the rallies and they're like, well, I know someone in my church or someone in my family is illegally, but we like Trump other than his immigration views, you know? So I think if we... is, And I'm going to... I guarantee that's the way Trump is seeing it. Like, hey, I... Do the DACA and I get my wall, you know? And I think it's like people are so short-sighted that they don't see the the big scheme of things, you know? Like, it's all about compromise. If we want to have another conservative president, we need to start compromising. Otherwise, we're, there's going to be another eight years of someone like Obama. Absolutely right. And, Jimena, you mentioned the Obama administration and... One of the things that they did, instead of uh, providing a path to citizenship, you talked about the uh, them just doing the work visas and Obama never being criticized for it. What? How else did Obama shortchange the the DACA recipients? Well, I mean, it, it was unconstitutional, first of all, and it wasn't permanent. So you didn't really, you he didn't give them any anything was guaranteed, you know. So he left them in limbo for the next administration to to do something and 
you know, I was really upset when they were bashing President Trump because I was like, the one at, that needs to have all the blame is Obama. Obama could have either deport them or Obama could have uh, give them a path to citizenship, you know. And I, I don't agree, like, we need to give them full citizenship because it wouldn't be fair to the millions of people that have come here legally like me. But maybe add a fine, you know, like, help them. Uh, like some sort of work program that they can become citizens and pay an extra fine on top of the fees that people like me pay, you know, but I mean, and I think, well, the Democrats are very hypocritical when it comes to it, but I, the only person to, to, uh, blame is Obama, you know, and they still had eight years to fix this problem. And they didn't do anything. And now they're pointing fingers at the president when he's just trying to, to fix the problem, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and another thing, you know that they say, oh, Donald Trump is, is, I don't know if you're aware, but, uh, I work for the campaign, for the California campaign. And they're like, oh, he's racist. Will, ha- will the campaign have hired me to the media in Southern California if he was racist? Like, I have traveled around like the hotels and everything and it's I would say it's majority of minorities that work at his hotel mm-hmm. and come. So I'm I'm just I, I'm sick of it. I want them to they we need to speak up. Jimena, I, I like that. The majority of minorities. That was very, that was very yeah. clever. Um, if, if, if we may, uh, just for a moment. So you worked for, uh, at that time, yeah. candidate Trump's campaign, yeah. uh, in California. And uh, are you having an earthquake there in Southern California? <laughs> no, the campaign. No, I'm showing you. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, there you go. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so so uh, bouncing the ball squarely into your court, Jimena, it's it's story time. Tell us a little bit about what working for candidate Trump in a state like California, where I don't believe California has been a red state since 1984 with the re-election of Ronald Reagan. Mm-hmm. Just give us a little idea from your firsthand it experience. Was, what was it like? It was, it was really hard because my job was uh, coordinate uh, with the media interviews for the surrogates. We had a hundred surrogates from all backgrounds and all races. So try to coordinate and like, hey, I have a story for you. I have this person. And they're like, oh, we don't need them. Uh, and then it was hard also with the, like, I might get, this might bring me a lot of heat, but it was hard with the GOP here. There is a lot of uh, rhinos here in Southern California. So... The campaign will tell me, hey, we have this target for the weekend, right? Because a lot of what we did was try to save. He didn't have uh, a lot of budget for, like, ads and things like that. So we will do rallies and events, and they will be on TV. So that will save us actual money from for, from ads. So, like, I will call them, like, hey, guys, like, like the Republican part here, are you guys doing an event this weekend? They're like, no, we're not doing anything. So I ended up throwing all these events because, of course, I had to have something to show for for my work. But, yeah, it's very hard. It's very hard to be a Trump supporter in California. No, absolutely. Um, Did you guys – have you had any run-ins 
with the the Antifa crowd or or these anti-Trump? Never. Okay, well that's good um, because they uh, uh, they they get violent towards anybody they disagree with. But I just wanted well, to know if this is something that you've had interaction with. In Southern California, is not bad. I would say LA and and Berkeley and all of that. Yeah, uh, we had protesters once in here in San Diego, but it wasn't that bad. They were like normal. They were just like screaming and things like that. The one time that it got really bad that I almost had to get involved with it, the march against Sharia, and that was in Oceanside. Uh, people from CARE came, uh, and this guy started like screaming at all of us and coming at us, and the, there it was a female cop. Um, he hit the female cop, and I'm like, first of all, you don't, you first listen to authorities, and second of all, you never hit a woman, so we did press charges, and, and they took him. But as far as a main large group like Antifa, I have never experienced it. I know Irma, uh, her hashtag is Irma Inojosa. She, she got pepper spray and everything in Berkeley, so. Yeah. She would be a good one to have and ask because she's always traveling to all the rallies and reporting from there. Okay. Well, while we're on the subject of Antifa, I kind of want to get into this uh, politically correct social justice movement that we see uh, in our country so prevalently showcased by the media and ask you, um, what does your community, how, how do they feel about so much of what they're see- seeing from the safe spaces to this promotion of the LGBT community um, and all the social justice uh, movement topics that we see. Well, it, I mean, it's, it's kind of, you know, kind of bad because if we go and say what we believe on, then we're racist and Nazis and everything, but then we have to be tolerant uh, to their views, you know. So I, I don't know what it's going to take. Uh, I think Obama uh, instigated a lot of the things in the media, and I don't know if it's going. If there's going to be a, a way to fix all these problems other than an, a war, in all honesty, like a civil war. Because it gets worse and worse. You see companies like now... Uh, like YouTube and things like that, uh, censoring people, oh, you yeah. know, yeah. for, for their views. So, and I, we all get harassed, you know, um, and I think it, I mean, they sell we're tolerant and respectful, but they're really not. I actually wanted to, to do like a social experiment and there was a hashtag that was Hispanics break the internet. So I put all the pictures that we did from, from the campaign. And with Latinos, and I got harassed so bad. Like, oh, you you don't be, you're not Latina anymore. You're just hmm. whitewash. And I'm like, well, first of all, a lot of if you look into our heritage, a lot of us have white on us. So it's like, why do you self hate? You know. Uh, so I I don't know what it's gonna take. I just think that hard times are gonna come and maybe that's what we need so people realize how how uh, lucky we are to live in this country you know 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and, um, you hit the nail right on the head in your article that was titled, is that right, John? A Time to Wake Up? You talk about, yeah. uh, this exact, uh, you, t- you talk about this thing, how the Americans have become, uh, complacent okay. in mm-hmm. their, in, in the, um, in security here and, in uh, the freedom and in the safeties that we have. Well, you gotta remember also, and I, I had a talk with my daughter's principal this week about it, like, they didn't do anything for 9-11 in the schools here. And I was like, well, you got to realize these kids weren't alive when this happened, you know. So people, and they put like a picture, oh, 9-11, but what are you doing the rest of the year to, to remember that, you know. Mm-hmm. And then now schools are removing history and, and things like that. So you have these generations that think that, Oh, United States safe, nothing has happened that big, you know, and then that's when things start getting crazy. So I think, I mean, something bad might end up happening for people to realize that we have it so good here, you know, and we have the best military in the world and everybody's seen about a bubble because of it. And that to me is so scary, you know. So, and the kind of balance, like Antifa. That's crazy. I never thought when I move here, I will have to say things like that. And killing of the cops and Black Lives Matter. Never in my mind cross that. Like, and because you know, like, being little in Colombia and like, I lost my dad and my two aunts and, and seeing my friends lost their parents, uh, that were long informants officers too and then um, I never thought that that would happen here then I Dallas Dallas was very traumatic to me because the pictures it was just like how my dad was killed and, and I just can't believe it you know and, and we cannot let that happen you know look at Venezuela Venezuela is probably one of the richest countries in South America as far as oil and everything but everybody's dying right now they're eating animals and that's what Bernie Sanders wants. Like, oh, we want healthcare for everyone. Well, where are we going to get that money? You know? So I think it takes, I think a lot of us that have come here legally will really need to speak up and not allow that. If not, it's, it's going to be a mess. Well, it, it, it certainly is. Uh, and for those just joining us, our guest this hour is Jimena Barato, and you can find her at therepublicanchick.com or follow her on Twitter and actually in addition to uh, that you can follow her on Twitter and uh, she certainly posts some great stuff up there. Jimena, you said a couple of things here in, in your uh, in your comments that were just really struck me uh, too that I'd like uh, to ask you to elaborate on a little bit. The first mm-hmm. is uh, you said that you we know you have a daughter um, and uh, apparently a younger daughter uh, bo- born after, okay, born uh, quite quite some time after 9-11, uh, mm-hmm. you actually had to go into the principal's office or speak with the principal in some manner because there was nothing done at the school to commemorate 9-11? And they didn't put the 9/11. flag at half-mast. They didn't put the flag at, ha- at half-mast. So, uh, half so let's, no. let's, let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about uh, your daughter's experience in school. Okay, um, with with nine eleven, but but feel free to go wherever you like with that. And let's not forget well, that you also 
suggested that due to complacency and perhaps some some laziness, I would say spiritual laziness, but mm -hmm. uh, laziness in the workplace, really laziness everywhere, complacency, uh, you did use those two words, uh, civil war. And just by way of a quick, um, I don't want to say history lesson, but uh, we, we know that Colombia, uh, what, about 100 years ago when Panama broke off, actually had a civil war. So, so again, our guest comes from a family where her father was killed as law enforcement um, and also from a country that's been through civil war. So let's start with your daughter in school and then maybe we can work back to the civil war stuff, okay. Amanda. So, well, her school is actually in a district that is conservative, believe it or not. The major is, is very pro-Trump, but you have people like teachers and principals uh, that are very liberal. So I went and I'm like, you know what, like, the ma is K to to fifth grade. I was like, the majority of these kids weren't born. Like, they don't know about it, you know. And like the whole week before that, I recorded a bunch of videos for my daughter and tried to explain her. I'm like, this is what happened. Um, and kids, I think we try to underestimate them, but they're pretty smart. So uh, I went in and she's like, well, it's not in the curriculum. I'm like, well. It should be in the curriculum because I remember 9-11. I remember I was in college and I remember someone run into our classroom. They turned the TV and we really thought, I was like, if they're attacking United States, the most powerful country in the world, we're going to be next, you know? So this really changed the whole world, in my opinion. So for people, schools to not talk about this, I mean, it's outrageous to me. Uh, and as far as my experience with her is, is hard because I was very vocal and I was in local media here and a lot of parents were in the fans so they will throw parties for their kids, like birthday parties and they will invite my daughter and, and that's kind of messed up. Like, you know, that's one thing about liberals that I don't like. Like they, they mess with kids. They do it to President Trump's kids. They bash them and everything. It's like leave the kids alone, you know? Did you uh, did you see on Friday um, the, the the White House has been doing this tradition where children write letters to the president. One yes. of the tr children wrote a letter wanting to, to mow the grass, the, the grass. Mm -hmm. and and the White House responded. They brought him in. He was cutting the grass in the rose garden. And liberals freak out. He's too young to cut yeah. grass. Trump came out and gave I'm him a like, high five. They made a the kid made a video of how happy and proud he was to be able to do it. And the the, the left turns around incites child labor laws and tries to make Trump look bad uh, like he, he's a, a slave well, owner to some well, kid. They're enabling grown-ass people to not work and yeah. do whatever they want. That's how messed up it is. Like, a kid is teaching them work ethics while they enable a bunch of lazy people not to work. Well, you know... So, yeah, that, I mean, I make my daughter do things around the house. Oh, absolutely. You know? The left will work, uh, you know, they will die working as hard as they can to never work again. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's the mentality that they have. They have this entitlement. And, and this is part of, back to the, the social justice movement. Uh, hey, man, I want to ask you, in the Latino community, do you guys have it as bad as we do here uh, with our colleges, with the social justice entitlement, uh, snowflake Type mentality. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure it's the same. Like I, I have been out of school for so long, but I'm sure it's the exact same. You know, um, and I, it really depends on the area because I have 
friends that went to school in the East Coast and it's not as bad as at the West Coast. I have a friend actually that went, started political science in Northern California and the teacher felt her because she's, she's just as Wayne as me and they felt her. So now she's still in the school. So things like that, like if you don't agree with their views, then you're wrong. You know, they just, yeah, uh, and I, I just wish I could buy everyone a ticket to Venezuela. Everyone that says that, like Bernie Sanders, Sanders, Michael Moore. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. E- even uh, Bradley Manning or Chelsea, or whatever. Uh, <laughs> uh, Chelsea Manning sent a tweet like last week, and it was like, "Oh, imagine uh, a country where everybody ha- had healthcare." And I'm like, well, what, how are we gonna pay for it? You know? Yeah. Not only that, it's like not, it's not a right. Healthcare is not a right. It's a privilege, you know? Yeah. A right is like liberty. That's a right. And a right to live, that's a right. But healthcare is not. It's not, you know? So I was like, imagine a country that takes care of their beds for once. That, I will be all about it. Imagine a country that doesn't enable spies, like mm-hmm. her. And she should be in jail because it's like, that's another thing that pisses me off about Obama, other than the DACA thing, is like, they, he told the world that espionage is okay by letting Chelsea Manny out. You know? Yeah. There's many people yeah. in the country that hold security clearances that could start doing that and use that case to get out of it. No, you're absolutely, yeah. you're absolutely right. And, yeah. uh, we know Obama, I mean, he did a lot of things by one, speaking to them, but two, not speaking out against them in, in a mm-hmm. lot of cases. And, you know, you're exactly right that, you know, he sent the world a message saying, well, in certain cases, it's okay you yeah, know, it's to commit espionage. And mm-hmm. it's completely, and it's completely crazy. We saw, you know, him not speak out against violence against police officers. Um, you know, and he, he instigated more because yep. I remember like in some of the speeches was like, well, cops need to be more tolerant. They need to listen. Uh, you know, and, and I agree. There is bad people in every, there is bad cops. There is bad Latinos. There is bad African Americans. There, but he made it worse. You know, did you ever, and I'm not a Bush fan either, but like, did you ever hear President Bush saying, oh, cops need to, to listen more to the African American community or Latino community? They never did. It's like, he just kept instigating. Jimena, and let me ask you a question. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off there, but I just, I don't want to, uh, lose this. Do you recall, and I was living in Los Angeles at the time as well. Uh, I just recently relocated out of LA about 18 months ago. Do you mm-hmm. remember the night that the first Ferguson riots happened? the rhetoric coming out of President Obama that, that night. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was fomenting violence. It was incendiary yeah. rhetoric coming directly from the White House. And I remember, I don't recall whether, which one of the major cable news networks it was, but they did a split screen where they showed, uh, uh fires igniting and some tear gas mm-hmm. uh, popping across the crowd while President Obama, and I, I say president in finger quotes, President Obama, <laughs> Uh, More was traitor. <laughs> was in, was inciting violence. Do you, do you remember yeah. that? Yeah, and and look, at, but that's just 
the thing that the left always does, like they like to project, you know. Uh, same happened when the congressional game. They were like, oh, this happened because Donald Trump's rhetoric. And I'm like, I never seen Trump dividing and saying, oh, cops need to listen more. Um, you know, like white people, blah, blah. I have never listen to President Donald Trump mention any race in all honesty. And so, and isn't yeah, that, isn't I, that I, kind of the point to, to get to a place where we're not uh, delineating or defining by race? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, to, uh, Joe and I do a, a, a show in the afternoons, the Hagman Daily Show, and that's mm-hmm. uh, from 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern on Block yeah. Talk Radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well as Global Star Radio Channel 3. Uh, and today, Jimena, we talked extensively about about what appears to be the mainstream media. Uh, I call them the fake stream media. Mm-hmm. Every day, every day, uh, their rhetoric, and they just, they just spout it. Uh, mm-hmm. It seems to be driving us to a place where just based on our skin color or where we were born, two things that we had no control over whatsoever, that was completely up to God. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like they want to get us at each other's throats. And, and I want to uh, circle back quickly to some of the comments you made about your perspective. See, uh, being from Colombia, being a, um, a, uh, a, a, I know that you came here legally, but being a, a resident of the United States now and, and a successful one at that. Mm-hmm. But you come from a country where there's been multi-generational corruption from the highest offices down to the lowest municipalities. But you know what's scary? Like, I thought Colombia was corrupt, and when the WikiLeaks, they exposed the DNC and everything, like, this is worse than everything that I've seen in my life, in my lifetime. So, I mean, it's, it's crazy that, imagine that if, that didn't happen. Like, if they didn't get a hold of all those emails, you know? And yeah. and I think the main goal of them, uh, the media and the Democrats, is to cause uh, a civil war because at the end, they're going to end up profiting from it, you know? I, I, I mean, real Saul and Linsky, and that's all they're trying to do, you know? Orchestrate chaos here and around the world so they profit from all the companies that they lobby. No, That's all it is. You're absolutely right. I want to ask you about this, um, because again, back to your history, you grew up in Colombia. Your family was uh, the victims of a number of crimes that mm-hmm. targeted law enforcement and other acts of terrorism by the uh, Medellin cartel, the Pablo Escobar mm-hmm. uh, drug trafficking trade, and can you speak to to what I mean, the lawlessness that the terrorism brings, that the control and corruption of law enforcement brings, uh, what that can do to a country, and how the U.S. Uh, very easily by continuing down the cert- the path that we're on can fall into that trap if we're not yeah. careful. Yeah, if we're not careful, that's why I'm a fear, like, I believe in the race act and extreme betting, like, I was better when I came into this country, I was better when I got bought a gun, I was better when I joined Trump's campaign, so I, I don't see why people 
uh, get so offended by it, you know? I, I had a friend, ex-friend, but it's not my friend anymore. She gets so mad that, that I posted like, oh, I'm all about stream betting. And she's like, oh, that's so intolerant of you. You're an immigrant. And I was like, yeah, I'm a legal immigrant. I'm, I'm in so many databases and I'm not freaking out. Then why people that are coming from now on will freak out when we went through that, you know? And, I mean, look at the people, 9-11, the people from 9-11. They were giving uh, student visas, and they went through embryo-riddled aeronautical science in, in Daytona Beach. And who gave those visas, you know? It was the 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 Clinton uh, State Department. So I do think the system needs to be changed a lot because... Uh, like my case took seven years even though it was supposed to be five we don't have the manpower and and uh, there is a lot that needs to be changed when it comes to that and if we're not careful we're just going to end up like Venezuela like I'm afraid of another 9-11 happening because everybody's so complacent and everybody's trying to maybe not hurt the feelings of others as far as you know like um like asking for for stream betting but another thing I was telling one of my friends if you go to Colombia security in Air Force there is worse than here as far as you have to when you get there they check you right before you drop your bags then add when you drop the bags in the counter then there is another check and then they check you at the gate before so you go through four or five checkpoints and I mean, there's not, you don't have terrorists going there. It's just more for drug, uh, to check that there is no drugs. But it's like other countries have way stricter measurements than us. Like we're very, very careless when it comes to that. If, if you travel to other countries, you will be able to see that, you know? Um, and it's funny because I get a lot of hate. On Twitter because of it for being so so uh, opinionated on it but like my family has lived all over the place and one of my nieces is a US citizen she was born here because my family is in the military and then they moved back to Colombia and Colombia wanted to deport her as an infant because they have to renew visas my niece has to get a visa every single time where Colombia will deport her same goes for my brother. My brother works for a big software company and Mexico was trying to deport him because he forgot to renew his Mexican visa. So it's like, we're not calling Juan uh, Manuel Santos or Enrique Peña Nieto racist, you know? I think that people have taken advantage of United States for so long that now they're like, oh, we're entitled to be here. Yeah. We're entitled to to get all these things. But try to pull that the same BS in another country, and they, either you will get deported right away or put in jail. Yeah, you mentioned that um, the immigration laws in Colombia are very, are very strict, strict. Mm-hmm. and that's the case with with most countries. And I, I believe you're exactly correct when you say that people have been taking advantage of America for so long that now they feel that they're entitled to something, whether that's, uh, you know, food stamps or citizenship, whatever that is, they do feel like they're entitled. And I want to ask you this, because it's one thing to see 
I guess you'd say, enemies of the Trump agenda speaking out mm-hmm. against Trump. But when you have states like California suing the DOJ, wanting to become a sanctuary state, other sanctuary cities like Chicago saying we're mm-hmm. not going to comply with your uh, with your immigration laws and you're, we're not going to work with federal immigration officials anymore. What does that well, say when the states are pushing back against the government? Well, but here's the kicker about California. So they said, well, if if you take those grants from us, the the ones that are going to be affected are law enforcement. That's how they put it, right, when they did the lawsuit. But then I started doing research, and actually the grants that California will lose is I think it's something like one like less than I think it was less than two million because it's just small grants. It's not that the federal government gives to California. And I'm like, well California gives twenty five billion to illegals every year. So they're just suing out of a spite because President Trump won, not because we really need that grant. You know? Yeah. So they're just gonna keep doing it out of a spite and they don't, they don't need the money, you know? And when it comes to, like Jerry Brown, I don't know if you have seen what he has done lately, but just from my daughter's school district, he took 15 million dollars. And we have classes that are 32 kids for one teacher or 26 kids for one teacher. Meanwhile, you have in the East Coast 14 kids for one teacher or 11 kids for one teacher. Not only that, we also have um, special needs kids, at least in my daughter's school. And it used to be one eight for per kid. Now there is three eights for like, I would say 20 kids. And we're talking about kids that are nonverbal at all. Like if you, I mean, it's, it's sad because you see them grabbing grass, eating grass and things like that. But when you only have three people for this big amount of kids, you know, there's nothing that you can do. And the only person to, to complain is Jerry Brown. I, I was telling my, I'm going to relocate pretty soon. And I was telling uh, my daughter's teacher, like, I'm pretty excited that my daughter actually is going to be in a school where she's going to have more access to other things. And I was like, well, the schools are better. And, but then I, w- I felt bad. I was like, well, it's not that the schools are better. It's that the budget is there, you know. And and I was telling her, I was like, if I was a teacher in California, I would rally all the teachers and go to his office and wouldn't move till he does something. And he just approved that apparently if you donate blood and you have AIDS, so it's okay. Like he, yeah. he, he, oh, he's, he he's crazy. He's crazy. Yeah. He keeps putting the citizens of California at risk and putting illegals first. Indeed. You know? uh, our guest of this hour is Jimena uh, Barreto, and uh, she is uh, living in Southern California. Follow her at therepublicanchick.com. Uh, also, uh, definitely follow her Twitter feed. We do here at the Hagman Report, and that's also uh, at the Republican Chick on Twitter. And while you're at her website, uh, therepublicanchick.com, Take a moment or two to read her article, Time to Wake Up. Uh, Joe and I read it uh, prior to the show today. It really, it's, it's, it's very heartfelt. It's a good piece, and it's very transparent. You really feel like you get to know uh, this amazing guest who was kind enough to join us here in Hour 2. 
Uh, Jimena, we have about 10 minutes left uh, of our time with you this evening. And uh, Joe and I would love to switch gears at this point and talk about uh, the March for Justice, because you've done okay. quite a bit in the realm of of understanding Islam, pushing back against Sharia law, and if I understand the March for Justice correctly, uh, defending What's women's rights, correct? No, that the March for Justice that we did, I think it was last two weekends ago, it was for Benghazi and Extortion 17. Um, President Trump allowed uh, the parents of Extortion 17 to reopen the investigation, so that's pretty much why we did it, because, you know, like, there's all this evidence in all in both cases, and nobody's doing anything. And we need to prevent, uh, you know, our military members to be uh, put in these risky situations. Uh, so that's what we did the March for Justice. Before that, we did the March against Sharia. And that was the one that I was telling you that got pretty heated. And yeah, let's uh, let's talk about that one, Jimena. Please continue. Let's talk about the uh, the march and, and Sharia and, and what's going on with Sharia law in Southern California. Well, CARE was trying to San Diego Unified was trying to introduce uh, Sharia compliant curriculums. So a lot of parents sue the school district. You know, I mean, there if there's there's separation of church and state, and you're not. And I, I, I wouldn't care if they're teaching all religions, but to go and put just Islam, you know, that's just not right. And then it will, they will have to make a lot of changes as far as the food. They were gonna observe, uh, the, the same holidays and things like that. And I mean, for me, I don't want my daughter in, in to San Diego. Her. In San Diego, California, we're going to celebrate Ramadan in San yeah. Diego. And your daughter again, uh, uh, Jimena, is six years old, correct? Yes. So, so she's in first grade. Uh, yes. So first. I did go to our principal, and thankfully that wasn't applied in my district because I'm not in. I don't belong to San Diego Unified. But I was like, I, my concern was like, once it starts in, in one. Uh, district is going to spread throughout the the state, you know. Uh, thankfully, well, the lawsuit is still there. There's a hearing coming up, I think, in November. Uh, but the thing is that the a lot of the parents weren't aware because it was written in, like, very small print. So that's, I guess they said they informed them, but they didn't. So the the curriculum is still going on, you know, and I just don't want my daughter to learn a religion that oppresses women and 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 promotes violence of any in any way. And they say, yeah, well, the Bible has bad passages. Yes, it does, but Christianity has moved away from those barbaric days. You don't see Christians killing in large amounts, you know, or no beating up women. Of course not, and we need to remember to uh and and him and i had we didn't have a chance to to uh, go into this prior to your time with us this evening, but a vast majority of our listeners and viewers uh are christian uh or from the judeo christian tradition of course catholics mm-hmm. et cetera uh yeah. and people need to remember that much of what's in the Old testament uh was with the coming of Christ he came mm-hmm. to fulfill that which is in the Old Testament, and so we are not yeah. under those laws. 
and yeah, restrictions exactly. any longer. We are under uh, the blood of Christ. Uh, we have a few yeah. minutes left, and I, we would be remiss if we didn't get into your show, uh, The Right View. Can you tell us a little bit about The Right View? Yes. So I actually am not going to do it anymore because I apply for a job, so I'm not going to be able, but it's uh, Irma, it's five of us, so Irma, uh, Regina, uh, Terry, and Monica. So uh, Halsey approached me, and he's like, do you want to do um, a live show? And I was like, sure, but I was like, I don't I don't know if I can come up with so much, uh, you know, like stuff to talk about. Why not uh, something like The View? I'm like, there's, we need something uh, to call them out because they're awful. Those five women are awful. And I'm like, uh, let me find five Latinas that have different backgrounds. Uh, Irma was born here. Regina came here when her parents, she, she's Cuban, so her parents came as refugees. Then Monica came in a war visa from Colombia. Uh, and Terry came here as a kid. So it's like, all the different backgrounds and my goal was like you know what we need to show that there is a lot of Latinos that support President Trump that there is conservative Latinos and what we want is like hopefully in 2020 at least to have 50% you know uh, and everything that we produce in the show like we we is not fake news like we do a lot of research like I can show mm-hmm. you guys the messages and we plan weeks ahead what we're going to talk about and everything so it, I hope someone will pick it you know it will be cool to to actually have uh, a real show and I, I a few weeks ago I, I was at one American News and telling the owner Robert Harry I'm like have you thought about having a Spanish uh, news channel because you you it's worse. Like, we think fake news in English is bad, but Spanish is even worse. Like, I see them put Univision Telemundo, and they're like, Donald Trump hate you. Donald Trump wants to deport you. Like, all they said is that he's going to deport all Latinos. And that's not true. You know, he never said that. Same thing when the DACA thing happened. Like, he never said he was going to deport DACA recipients. He said, I'm going to deport people with convictions. You know? And this, they still can apply. Nobody's telling them don't apply to fix your status. You know, so that's the goal of the show. Try to change people's minds and let, teach them, you know, conservative values and, and the things that Trump is doing, you know. Well, for those joining us, uh, uh, who just joined us, our guest this hour has been, uh, Jimena Barreto. Uh, you can find her at therepublicanchick.com. And in case you are just joining us, given what she just shared with all of you, I would like to remind our listeners and viewers that she, in fact, worked for candidate Trump with the Republican Party as well, sort of as a liaison between the two uh, during the election season last year. Uh, Joe? No, absolutely. And, folks, if you go on YouTube and just type in Republican Chick, you can get the right view Episodes, they're they're right there, and um, again that that YouTube channel is the Republican Chick, and, uh, and check out the the videos there. Uh, we only have about a minute left, um, Jimena. Let me ask you this: 
What do you expect to see from Trump in the next year or so as far as um, do you think he's going to continue to push for the immigration reform, um, taxes? Do you think that... Uh, I think we need to... The, the thing that we need to really, really get into is the taxes. I think that if I was him, I wouldn't deal with the Obamacare or anything like that because every... If we fix the tax thing, that takes a lot of pressure from a big part of the population. Then we have next year's 2018 uh, elections, and then he's going to have more people in that are more pro-Trump. So that will help later on with the Obamacare and immigration. That That's how I will go about it, you know, not worry so much about the Obamacare and immigration till he has people on his side in Congress. Okay. And, uh, folks, Art, we're, we're in the closing moments of, uh, this interview. Jimena Barreto is her name. Republican Chick is what she goes by. RepublicanChick.com is the website. And she is on, she, she, uh, works with Latinos for Trump helping, uh, as the media coordinator for the Donald Trump campaign. She even showed us her, plaque that she received from the campaign and I, I think that's absolutely awesome and don't believe what the media is telling you uh, mm-hmm. about the minority support for Trump there's a lot more out there than yeah. what the media is admitting to Amina thank you so much for your time tonight thank it was a great job absolutely we'll have you on again yeah whenever you need to take care guys alright we'll be right back after these short messages don't go anywhere Just what kind of thriller predicts the future? In three days in the belly of the beast, Daniel Holdings wrote about the God Particle before CERN actually discovered the God Particle. And as the darkness falls, Daniel wrote about an Islamist terrorist confederacy that rose up out of Syria and declared a caliphate three years before ISIS was ever heard of. In his newest novel, Between the Veil, Daniel talks about a space between dimensions where supernatural beings can walk. He says that these novels are a warning from the creator to his creation. Will war come to America? Will the world's economies collapse? Are we looking at increased earthquakes and volcanic activity? Will the United States fall into civil war? You can find all of Daniel's work at his website, DanielHoldings.com. That's DanielHoldings.com. All of these things and more are talked about in Daniel's books. To find out what's coming next, go to DanielHoldings.com. Worldwide demand is making coconuts one of the highest yielding cash crops available today. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and many high net worth individuals have invested billions of dollars into coconuts for strong growth and solid long-term income. Yields could be as high as 18% or more per year. Capital appreciation and exceptional income for up to 60 long years would be an absolutely brilliant investment to pass on to future generations. Diversify wisely with direct ownership of fully managed coconuts on prime farmland close to the beautiful Costa Rican border. 
For more information, qualified accredited investors should go to ProfitsInCoconuts.com or phone 855-888-6288. That's 855-888-6288. This announcement does not constitute an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288 or visit ProfitsInCoconuts.com. ProfitsInCoconuts.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. At HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman Report, we are in our third and final hour, and we have a fantastic guest ready to go. He's been a guest on the show um, in the past. His website is geoengineeringwatch.org. That's geoengineeringwatch.org. It's like a database of all kinds of great information, and we have Dane Wigington on with us now. Dane, welcome back to the Hagman Report. Hey, great to be back, guys, and I, I greatly appreciate your willingness to continue addressing this issue that people still aren't grasping the gravity of yet. We need to change that. Yeah, uh, absolutely right. We are, uh, Dane, you're, you're joining us at a great time. We are in the middle of hurricane season. We're seeing a lot of activity in this uh, this year, and it's even ongoing right now. Um, we have a number of people asking questions from the uh, few storms that have hit America so far, Hurricane Harvey, um, you know, sat over Texas for a number of days, dumping historic amounts of, of water. And then you had the power of Hurricane Irma. Uh, thankfully, that died down before it made landfall on the U.S. You have Hurricane Maria out there, Jose still dangling off the eastern coast of the U.S. And many people for the last few weeks have been bringing up the topic of geoengineering, weather weapons, uh, modifying storms. Can you give us your initial thoughts on, on what you're seeing with this hurricane season and if there's any irregularities you're seeing with these storms? Well, first of all, we, we've just come off about a 4,300-day major hurricane drought in the U.S. No major hurricane impacts, and I realize people... Remember Hurricane Sandy in that time frame? That was not a major hurricane. Did major damage, not a major hurricane. How could we go from that extreme to this? First, they've been steering away or blowing apart any major cyclone impacts to the U.S. for that period of time. And these technologies do exist. They're patented. And mathematically speaking, the odds of the very destructive hurricane seasons we had in 05 and 06 disappearing for 12 years 
and now rebounding back. That's simply a change in policy by the climate engineers and regarding the engineering of these storms, not necessarily the spawning of the cyclones because the extremely warm oceans are fully capable of spawning storms. They have been. They've just been suppressed and or steered away. But there is no question, absolutely no question, that they are being steered, manipulated. We have the radio frequency transmissions to prove this as they near landfall. When they're further at sea, they can be manipulated by the ground-based ionosphere heaters like HARP. I'm sure your listeners know what HARP is, uh, most of them perhaps. If they don't, it's a large ground-based radio frequency microwave transmission facility in Alaska. That's only one of several dozen of those types of facilities around the globe, and their signals can be bounced off the atmosphere and directed to various places on the planet. When the cyclones are at sea, they can be directed by those facilities as they near any land-based stations where there are ground-based localized frequency transmitters. We have picked those up on radar. Did, did you guys happen to see, or I'm not sure I forwarded you, the animations that we captured as Harvey made landfall and Irma made landfall, the radio frequency interactions with the cyclones. Did you guys happen to see that? No, I, I had not seen that. I read today about um, I read today something about that, but I have not seen uh, what you put together now. I would highly recommend your listeners look at that, and they can find those uh, posts at geoengineeringwatch.org under the top stories and recent sections labeled with Irma and with Harvey. What this is are ground-based transmitters that are close to a million yeah. watts of power, okay? And you, you can see visibly the effect those transmissions are having on the cyclones, the rotation, the precipitation. As Irma came to shore, and that you think people would wonder how in the world could the quote-unquote meteorologists that are simply reading scripts from those who do the weather modification. They literally are reading scripts because Raytheon does all the weather modeling. In fact, Raytheon just got a new contract a day or two ago, another $300 million contract with the U.S. government to do the weather modeling for NOAA and the National Weather Service because Raytheon is neck deep in climate engineering and they thus need to dictate the quote-unquote forecasting to match what they're manipulating in the field. So did you guys wonder how it's possible that in the case of Sandy in, in 2011 or 12, whenever that was, and in the case of Harvey and in the case of Irma, how they could have known so far in advance that those hurricanes would do what they do? Yeah, absolutely. It, indeed. Uh, uh, Dane, uh, John Robertson, uh, uh, co-host, subbing in for Doug Hagman, and, and thank you so much for joining us this evening. Before we get uh, too deep into HARP, I just want to interject quickly that we have many listeners and viewers who, who come down somewhere between not understanding exactly what it is, and then we have some who just dismiss the entire thing as a conspiracy theory. And, and to those people, I just want to address quickly, in 2006 and seven, I had a downstairs neighbor, uh, I was living in Pasadena, and she worked for a huge company in Pasadena. I'll just leave it at that. She uh, and I had lunch one day, Dane, and she sat me down uh, at a little cafe locally, took out a couple pieces of paper, and showed me what she was working on at her job. And it, and it seemed as though it was almost cathartic for her, like she needed to, I don't know, demonstrate this to someone. And, Dane, she literally sat there and, and with a ballpoint pen and a few pieces of paper mapped out uh, the system she was working on for HARP. So I want to assure people it is very real, and in, in as much as my downstairs neighbor was part of uh, one of the projects. 
an immense amount of people are. Thanks for sharing that, John. And this is where those who are quote-unquote skeptical, they have simply chosen to come to conclusions based on preconception and ideology and not, unfortunately, investigation. The entire climate community all over the globe is discussing and has been discussing climate engineering. And this is where these science terms are most important. Climate engineering, solar radiation management, stratospheric aerosol injection. We must use the climate science terms and we'll find hard data as opposed to the, quote, chemtrail term, which leads nowhere. In fact, there are some, Joe and, and John, that claim that there's some validity to this term because Dennis Kucinich tried to use it in legislation and because there's an Air Force document that uses that term. The Air Force document that uses the term has nothing to do with climate engineering. It's a chemistry intro manual for first-year Air Force cadets. So there's no basis for the chemtrails term. If we use the science terms, we find science data. So all every single science institution on the planet is discussing it. Every country in the globe is discussing it. They're simply, for obvious reasons, not admitting these programs are going on. And we have film footage of it happening from film footage of the tankers spraying, lab tests from all over the globe to prove the primary elements in climate engineering, starting with aluminum, are raining down on us in unimaginable quantities. We have the animations of the radio frequency microwave transmissions interacting with the ionized, the electrically conductive atmosphere now from these particulate spraying. And that's what blew apart part of Irma's eyewall. It actually weakened Irma before it came and hit Florida. And you know the damage was much less in Florida. But at the same time, when we have the perfectly paralleling of the coast in Cuba, which did immense damage there. Now we're looking at Maria hitting, which is, is going to basically clean off those islands. I mean, if, if Puerto Rico takes a direct hit, well, that's going to do unimaginable damage. And is there some reason that they're now, after a 12-year drought, basically cleaning off a lot of the islands out there? Is there some purpose for an installation in the amount way you want to use? We, we can speculate. But what we don't have to speculate on is they have patented hurricane suppression technology. Your listeners can look this up. And they are absolutely not only choosing not to use it, but these hurricanes are positively whatever spawned them. And we're not saying we know they respond because we can't know that. The, the, the oceans, again, are spawning cyclones on their own. They're more than warm enough to do so. But we can say with certainty they're steering them. And in fact, I'm going to send you guys right now I'm not sure if you can open that email or not, but I'll send you a post. And if you open those animations, you'll be shocked. Your listeners will be shocked if they see what we recorded. And, Dane, real quick, I just want to say I watched the um, the radio frequency video that you were talking about, uh, Controlling Hurricanes, Harvey, Irma, and now Jose. And uh, maybe I'll, I'll get this over to Eric, and he can just uh, take one graphic from that that shows, uh, I imagine, what our towers um you know, and it looks like they're in major cities that uh, there's radar or uh, imagery that shows when these things activate. And it Correct. shows, you show how it basically can, can block the hurricane from moving forward or it, it basically can steer it in a certain direction. And with Maria that's down there, you, you, you just said something interesting. You said about the clearing off of the islands. Um, are you saying that it's a possibility that they are looking to, uh, you know, using these hurricanes to to wipe off some of the the real estate on those islands in order to build it back up for other reasons? 
I think we would have to entertain that possibility. We know in the South Seas, when they wanted to test for nuclear weapons, they cleaned off islands and blew them up. At this point, I, it's more strategic in that we're facing biosphere collapse. It's not coming. It's not off on the horizon. It's happening right now. And I realize, especially in the U.S., how many people will scoff at such a notion, people who have been trained to believe that everything's fine, just like after 9-11, what do we have Mr. Bush telling us? Just go shopping. Yeah. Well, uh, Dane, let's let's do this. Um, we've got you for the full hour. And again, thank you so much for your, your generosity and your gift of time this evening. Again, for those who are who are still catching up to to geoengineering and to climate engineering writ large. First of all, uh, I want to emphasize uh, not only visit uh, geoengineering.org, but bookmark it. It is a go to. Actually, is, let, me, let me hold you right there. If they go to geoengineering.org. That's a pro geoengineering website. Oh, I, I, I'm to... sorry, I, I faux pod. It's geoengineeringwatch.org. Yes, <laughs> you, Dane. yes. Geo geoengineeringwatch.org, and, I, and it's interesting you mention that because I've made that mistake before, and you get an entire, you basically get uh, a site that's antithetical to so much of your work. So my apologies yes. there. But let's let's do this since we do have you for some time this evening. Uh, for the scoffers, for those who who are in some form of cognitive dissonance about what you were just discussing with Joe Hagman. Let's just take a quick moment and go back to uh, Project Popeye, early 1960s, the Vietnam era. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Dane, but were we not uh, manipulating the weather during the dry season to create monsoon effect over the North Vietnamese at that time? Actually, they extended the monsoon season with Project Popeye. So we have... Very, very uh, clearly historically documented programs going back that far. Let's go back 20 years further still to 1947 with Project Cirrus, U.S. government, U.S. military project to manipulate hurricanes. So for 70 years, these programs have been going on. Project Storm Fury in the early 70s. And this is, again, historically documented. Nobody has to believe anybody. This is not theory, conjecture or speculation, it's historical fact. So we simply have a society on so many levels that's unfortunately been trained to believe official narratives and ignore uh, very verifiable realities that conflict with those official narratives. And we need to break that trend. So again, historical fact. We have film footage of these tankers spraying at altitude, KC-10s, KC-135, C-17s, turning on and off. And in fact... Um, Joe and John, we are about to release, I have now, World War II B-17 footage. Guys, you've both seen, and this is often referred to as, a, as an excuse that climate engineering are, is not happening, we're not seeing spraying. You guys have seen the big trails left behind the B-17s, of course, that people refer to, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah we're, we're both, everybody at Team Hagman, we're, we're really into military history and World War II in particular, Dan. Okay, now, we know the B-17s had, at minimum, they had water vapor injection, injection systems on them that we were told were used only at takeoff, but how do we know that's only when they were used? And we now have, I have historical footage of B-17s turning the trail off at altitude like it was cut with a knife. Now, whatever that is, it's not condensation. We know that climate engineering programs based on historical documents were fully deployed over the polar regions just after World War II in 1945, they had to be doing massive experimentation before that. So we should ask ourselves the question, were the B-17s on some runs being used for those early experiments? Unbeknownst perhaps to the pilots, 
systems that could have been uh, on timers or controlled in another means, as we know is the case now. But when we have film footage of a B-17 trail being shut off at altitude as if it was cut with a knife, instant shut off, that is not condensation. It didn't kill all four motors exactly at the same time. That is some sort of dispersion going on. And would we think that our government would want to make our B-17s targets? Because you guys know those trails made them targets, yes? Okay. I've heard right? uh, stories about that, yeah. I mean, they were visible because they were much easier to see with these trails. And so, um, and again, the film footage we have is very damning. We'll release that. So it's very reasonable to conclude the experimentation has been going on that long. And again, when we have current film footage of the tankers spraying at altitude, we have photographs. Again, your listeners can look at all this. If they go to geoengineeringwatch.org, look at the homepage, and they can search geoengineering watch uh air uh, spray nozzles and they can find data on that in any subject they want to find if they put geoengineering watch and the subject geoengineering watch uh, ozone depletion or I any other subject engineering winter storms they can probably find the article because we have 2,000 articles on the site so you have to search a little bit sometimes but the bottom line is we have photographs up close of nozzles mounted on the pylons aimed into the engine exhaust jet stream on commercial aircraft which we also know are spraying, dispersing, because we have film footage of those as well, turning on and off at altitude. That absolutely. can't happen. Absolutely. And, and just to, again, just to support and complement what our guest this hour, Dane Wigington, is sharing with all of us. Uh, Dane, I know that, that, uh, that you're very familiar with California, as am I. I'm a native Californian and lived for 18 years in Southern California. Probably one of the I'm, I'm speculating, but I, I would assume uh, it's one of the epicenters of the the geoengineering, the spraying, if you will. Uh, there are days in Southern California where the patterns were were remarkable. I mean, they 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 almost looked as though somebody drew them and said, "Go fly these plants." But I want to uh, I want to support what you were just saying with our listeners. Many times in L.A. and many Angelinos uh, will uh, will admit this. We see them turn the jets off and on. And that's not possible unless they were doing a massive ascent or descent that would be basically, as far as aeronautics go, impossible. Correct, Dane? Correct. And and in regard to, again, we have on-off, on-off, on-off. We have spectacular footage that is undeniably spray dispersions. Next, let's look at the mechanics behind the jet engines mounted on all commercial aircraft and all military tankers. High bypass turbofan jet engine, jet powered fan, 85% of the air that passes through that engine is non-combusted. Thus, by design, that engine is nearly incapable of making any condensation trail except under the rarest and most extreme circumstances. It's a jet powered fan. Again, we're seeing sprayed dispersions, the tests on the ground. How much metal is falling on us? We have the geoengineers stating on the record, and your listeners can look this up as well. If they search you guys know who David Keith is from Harvard? He's the world's most recognized geoengineer. He's been on Stephen Colbert and every other show you can imagine. Have you ever heard the name David Keith? No. No. Okay, he's, he's the world's most recognized geoengineer. If your listeners remember that name, David Keith. If they search Dane Wigington David Keith, they'll see me confronting Dr. Keith at an international geoengineering conference they only allowed about three questions. I was one, and they banned us. They banned me as part of the press from the next conferences because Dr. Keith uh, so misstepped on this question. But after a three-and-a-half-hour symposium with Dr. Keith proposing and pushing 
the goal of putting 20 million tons of nanoparticulates into the atmosphere annually, 20 million tons as part of the solar radiation management programs. And I asked Dr. Keith, had any studies been done, human toxicological effects, soil contamination? He tried to dodge the question by stating, more or less, I'm paraphrasing, that there's so much particulate matter in the atmosphere, a little more won't hurt. And I, before they cut me off, I followed up with, that particulate matter is not aluminum. Have you studied aluminum? And he, and he paused, he said, uh, let me be more careful. Uh, have we studied the effects of that, that material? No. Could terrible, thing hap- terrible things happen tomorrow? We don't know. And what kind of a statement is that from hmm. the world's most recognized climate scientist after pushing for 20 million tons of aluminum nanoparticulates to be sprayed in the atmosphere, all of which we have to breathe? No studies whatsoever. Dana. That's where we're at. In, indeed, and and you know, here at the Hagman Report, we've been following this story uh, for a number of years, and we all do individual study on it, and then we're privileged to bring guests such as yourself on from time to time. Uh, bottom line question: with the aluminum particulates in the air, in your opinion, uh, Dane, is the massive, almost exponential increase in Alzheimer's diagnoses over the past decade or so directly relative to? the particulates being sprayed, and uh, and geoengineering writ large. It can't not be connected. It absolutely positively is connected, and I'm not stating that's the only source, but mathematically speaking, when we're talking about quantities like 20 million tons, so much metal, I was going to get to this before, I, I apologize, so much metal, it's changed soil pH values in Northern California 10 to 12 times toward alkaline. That's a phenomenal amount of metal. Killing root systems, it's certainly enough to kill us. And in fact, to mention Alzheimer's now is the number one cause of death in some European countries like UK. Number one cause. Second or third in the US, uh, depending on the study. And we think CDC is hiding some of the data. There is no question. We, it's in our air column. Our lab tests prove it. We're inhaling it. We have peer-reviewed studies to prove the effects. No question, guys. No question. What about, um, you know, we see, and, and I'm sure, as you said, there's other factors that can contribute to this, but, you know, you have the Alzheimer's that that are increasing. You have the autism. I believe it's the one in 67 now. They say within, what, 20, 30 years, it'll be basically one in two. And whether it's from contaminants in the air or poisons in the, the water and the food, um, one of the things that we know for sure is what you just gave as an example um, of you confronting David Keith is the mentality of uh, destruction that these people have. And I guess a good example is when they were going to do the test on the hydrogen bomb, on the atom bomb, they were afraid that it might burn up the whole atmosphere upon detonation. And that's the same mentality that these scientists are using. And I believe there's even something more nefarious going on here because what kind of scientist uh, really would would sit there and say we're going to, you know... Uh, put all this metal into the atmosphere but we don't know what effects it could have i mean science is a is a uh, a study that you test your your hypotheses and your theories and then you you know you do, do the big changes after you know the effects that it's going to have you don't do that in the reverse way by doing big experiments on the whole population and then saying well we're not sure if that's going to hurt or not or if that's going to you know do damage or not to me, that's just completely antithetical to science in general. And to see these people doing it, I would imagine that it's almost like they're being ordered to do it and study the results after the fact. Uh, because anything else is just completely irresponsible, careless, 
and has no place in the in the scientific world. Uh, there is no place for this type of behavior. The, the climate science community as a whole has betrayed the population, the web of life. We have to consider that there's gag orders on the climate science community. In the case of National Weather Service and NOAA, there's illegal federal gag orders right now. So again, for those that are skeptical, they should ask themselves why our government would put an illegal gag order on the weathermen. On top of the fact they have no First Amendment protection. But the type of behavior, especially in military circles, to let's try it first and figure out what happened later, that's exactly what's going on. We're not dealing with sanity. And the American population needs to wake up to the fact that the government is not there for their good. And I don't care who's in the White House. Don't care. If anybody was a threat to the power structure, they would already be dead. We have the history of John F. Kennedy to prove that. One week. That's how long he lived after he drew a line in the sand with the power structure. So it's all theater at this point. Well, the, the house, the proverbial house is burning to the ground. And why am I focused on this issue above all others? Because we face a great many challenges. But if we have one issue that's the single greatest hole in the bottom of the boat, we must deal with that. We must deal with that. Or nothing else matters. Everything else is the proverbial moving the deck chairs around in the Titanic. Right, guys? Indeed. Indeed it is. And, uh, you know, Dane, you make an interesting point because there's, as Joe just uh, stated, there's a, a, a scientific or, as he said, antithetical to proper science component here. And there is a political agenda. There's a political component. And uh, uh, tap. feel free to tap the brakes if I'm jumping ahead on you here, Dane. But uh, you just enjoyed a phenomenal success uh, with a dear friend of the show, uh, Kevin Shipp. Uh, and I believe that was July 28th in Northern California, correct? Correct. And I just point this out, uh, all of our listeners and viewers, if you have not done so as yet, it is imperative. It's mission critical for everyone uh, at the Hagman Report. Go to YouTube, simply type in Kevin Ship. There's two Ps on his name. Most of you know who he is. And Dane Wigington. This, I have few times in my career seen a single video take off and go viral as quickly, uh, Dane, as Kevin's effort at your event did. And I was ho hoping that for the benefit of our listeners and our viewers, perhaps you could uh, summarize some of what he said, maybe give us a, some perspective uh, for, for those who could not attend the event as well. Kevin's a good man and a good friend. We have mutual friends, and we have an Air Force general Major General is a mutual friend as well, and we've been communicating for some time. The bottom line that Kevin's trying to communicate, the ship's completely off the rails, completely off the rails. We don't have a country with a government. We have a government with a country. We would do well to remember that. Again, for those people who still naively think that the government exists to protect them, we need to wake up from that delusion. And I, I would state again, the population at this point, the vast majority of the population, is considered by those in power not just uh, a liability, but uh, you're not just expendable, I should say, but a complete liability at this point. And, and we cannot ignore the fact that eugenics has to be considered a part of what's going on with the climate engineering programs. Kevin would concur with this. We have Brzezinski, who just died recently, but you guys know who Zabrinsky was, and he stated on the record oh, yeah. very clearly easier to kill a million people than to control them. This is the presidential advisor going back to Johnson. So you guys know now, back to the cyclones and, and the, I want to weave this into what we're talking about right now. The cyclones like Harvey, for example, there's a lot of potential agendas we could speculate on. Um, the 
knocking out of oil facilities to raise oil prices. We have weather trading derivatives, a, a lot of basic agendas. But we know a lot of that moisture was used to temporarily and toxically cool the eastern U.S. with chemical ice nucleation elements. Also, on top of that, it created a massive flood zone that now you guys know the C-130s are down there spraying NALED, right? Did you guys know that? No, no. Okay, so let's let's consider this. After this disaster, now we, we know, again, the toxic particles from climate engineering raining down on all of us, making us sick. All those metals are not only highly toxic by themselves, but when you mix them together, the toxicity increases radically. In some cases, 10,000%. In the case of mercury and aluminum, you mix those metals, it's, it's 10,000% worse, 100 times worse. Very lethal brew. Now, we have openly, we have open spraying going on. U.S. military C-130s are spraying a neurotoxin called NALED, supposedly to kill off mosquito populations when there wasn't even time for them to really reproduce yet. And they're openly spraying a population with a chemical that's banned throughout the world. Puerto Rico wouldn't allow this spraying to occur there. Maybe that's why Puerto Rico is about to get completely knocked out with, with Maria. But they're spraying with U.S. military tankers a known neurotoxin on the populations of Texas and Florida right now. So let's ask ourselves just how far off the rails the train really is. Our problems aren't off on the horizon. They're here. And our U.S. military brothers and sisters better take a step back and look in the mirror and remember the oath they took to protect our nation from all threats foreign and domestic because right now those in the military that are participating, participating in not only the NALED spraying but the climate engineering, the toxic particulate spraying are, are literally conducting biological warfare on their own citizens. And and there it is. Uh, powerful words, powerfully spoken and true. Our guest is Dane Wigington. Two quick questions, Dane, before we move forward. Uh, can you spell the, what is it, N NALED? Help me out now, NALED? Just so our viewers can search. N-A-L-E-D, I believe, is how you spell that. And they're, C they're being sprayed with C-130s. Right now it's being sprayed. And that chemical, again, banned in Europe, just like you guys remember um, Corexit sprayed oh, in the yeah. Gulf of Mexico? Uh, the oil spill stuff, yes. Uh, so we have Corexit, you know, again, that name that certainly doesn't fit what it is, doesn't fix anything, it just poisons everything. But that chemical also banned throughout the world. Didn't stop them from using it here, did it? So, and then let's go back to the, the Zika spraying. We have the governor, the governor of Florida financially invested in the highly toxic Zika spraying on his own population when now it's been proven, in fact, in Brazil already that it wasn't the mosquitoes that were causing the birth defects, it was the spraying. What a surprise. So when we have so much data from the vaccinations that we now have peer-reviewed study, and many of your listeners may not know this, we have peer-reviewed study right now proving vaccinations are radically harming our children. These are new studies. In the case of allergic reactions, 3,000% worse in the vax kids. Let's go to African vaccinations. You guys know that there's big programs to vaccinate all the kids in Africa, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So let's look at some recent stats there. We now have stats in the first five months of life, the vax kids, the kids that have been vaccinated in Africa, are 500% more likely to die. 500%. Wow. There's very dark things going lot. on here. We, it's, it's staggering. And when we consider the, our kids here, 
within an hour perhaps of being born, they are whisked off to get a hepatitis vaccination. Those children are not exposed to that unless they're having sex or doing drugs. Why are they forcing that vaccination on our kids? And if you try to refuse that, we know from one case here in Reading, they'll call the police. Now something is really so, wrong. So Dane, this is a this is an assault uh, both uh, within us and outside of us. Uh, four case and points come up quickly. First of all, what we're discussing tonight, with uh, in my opinion, one of the top uh, uh, geoengineering uh, weather war, if you will, experts in the world, Dane Wigington. Folks, go to geoengineeringwatch.org, bookmark it. But what we're, so we've got we've got the spraying. We've got fluoridated water, we've got GMO foods, and and at the practically the moment of birth, Dane, we've got vaccinations. This is a eugenics program that is comprehensive in its complexity. It is exactly that. And if we look at how this can be carried out, because most people understand that you, you can't have a quote-unquote conspiracy that would involve this many people who would actually know what's going on, and, and that's certainly the case. Everybody's compartmentalized, just like in the military. Did the military pilots spraying Agent Orange on their their fellow soldiers on the ground realize they were going to kill those individuals? Of course not. But we have a compartmentalization, and we have a society full of trained, programmed order followers. So in the case of the, of the medical industrial complex, we have pediatricians. The average patient list or the, the patient uh, load of a pediatrician in the U.S. is 1,546 patients, I believe, something like that, their, their average roster. And those pediatricians are paid by Blue Cross Blue Shield $400 per patient for all patients that receive, all children that receive their full set of vaccinations through two years old if they don't fully vaccinate at least 60% of their patients, they lose the entire bonus. Now, first of all, how could Blue Cross or Blue Shield, how can they afford to pay that kind of bonus? Who's really paying those bills? And what's the agenda behind that? And can you imagine the conflict of interest that we're talking about pediatricians that stand to lose six-figure bonuses if they don't fully vaccinate kids? Is it any wonder they don't care about the safety and they refuse to look at the new studies and the obvious danger of injecting neurotoxins like aluminum and mercury into anybody, let alone a child. So we have a society full of absolutely willfully blind order followers because we couldn't be in this dark place just because we have twisted psychotic people at the top. They need legions of order followers to carry out their bidding and that's the type of society we have and we have to change that. Quickly. Dane, uh, forgive me for breaking in on here, but did I just do this basic arithmetic correctly? Uh, can you, sincerely, can you tell us the number of pediatricians and the, 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 what the actual value of that bonus is per patient one more time? Because this, this is an enormous figure on my, uh, on my calculator. The publicized data, and this is from a number of sources, publicized data that the, the average pediatrician, and I... I believe this may be a California statistic and not necessarily a national statistic, but it's 1,520 or 1,540 in that range. If they don't fully, the, the bonus per fully vaccinated patient is $400, and they have to vaccinate at least 63%, I believe is the figure, of their patients, or they lose the entire bonus. Thus, we have pediatricians now, and I personally know a number of patients that have been let go 
because they refuse vaccinations. They are they are cutting loose their patients that refuse to vaccinate because that risks their bonus. So pediatricians are finding themselves, at least in the state of California, uh, sitting down and wondering how much sin they're willing to commit for somewhere between about six hundred uh, grand and three quarters of a million dollars, Dane. De- depending on the amount of patients they carry, yes. Wow. It's a staggering amount of money. So, and again, I think uh, there's three or four sources of data for backing up those statistics, and the, the figures are staggering. And is it any wonder? And where could that where could that kind of resource come from to to actually cover those kinds of bills? And then when we look at we look at what we know is in vaccinations, and and Joe and John, does it really take a lot of study to understand that? aluminum and mercury would be harmful to inject into us? No, you know, that's obviously not hard to figure out. Um, no, know, them being not. heavy metals, that's all you really have to say there. Um, and what you said about the soil, I read an article from Politico that came out yesterday that talked about the lack of nutrients in our food. And the article pointed to the soil as being one of the reasons, but never explained why it is the soil was changing except for what they called, you know, basically over, over, uh, growing is what their excuse was. But it talked about how, um, the population of, of algae in this zooplankton that's in the ocean, how they started to create algae by shining more light on it and it would create more and more algae, which the zooplankton then, uh, were, were able to eat a lot more than they usually did. But then it talked about after a while the the population of the zooplankton conti- uh, began and continued to die off, even with uh, you know this huge amount of algae being produced, which is their food source. The article goes on to describe how as the light, the artificial light shining on the algae, did uh, create much more algae, it was much less nutrient dense, and these plankton were starving to death. Then they made the comparison that this is what is happening with humans and, and food, that there is a lot less nutrients in the, in the food, and they go on to, to list the several examples, one of them being the soil. But you said that in California alone, it the amount of heavy metals being sprayed into the atmosphere has actually changed uh, the soil, but in a way that's made it much more alkaline. Is that what you said? It's pushing it toward alkaline in, in naturally acidic soils. Are, and, and again, the readings that one would find there would be would vary depending on what the natural state of the soils were. For example, in Northern California, we have naturally acidic soils here. They can range from 5.0, 5.4, 5.6. We have the USDA baselines here. So I've been in the field testing with USDA scientists that I know personally and that we have seen and documented pH escalations from 5.4, for example, to five to 6.6. That's the magnitude of 12. That's 12 times more because a pH scale is like a Richter scale. Every point is a magnitude of 10. So we have those pH changes. We have bioavailable metals saturating the soils. That's a problem. But I believe the study you're referring to also when that is a problem. That's part of why the nutrient content is going down. And the same thing is happening with pollen. And the protein content in pollen is down 25%, somewhere in that range, because of too much CO2. So this is where we need to not think dichotomously, yes, CO2 is necessary, and, and this is not about Al Gore. I've stated 
too many times. Remember, I'm not a Gore fan. He's a hypocrite. He's a part of the power structure. Carbon credits are a sham, but that doesn't mean we don't have a problem. Too much of anything is not helpful, and especially escalating at these rates when nothing can adapt. Nothing can adapt at this current time frame. In fact, the current change is happening climactically, biosphere-wise, are happening a minimum based on paleo data, of 170 times faster than at any previous point in Earth's history. Nothing can adapt. So, again, the excess CO2 is like excess water. Water is necessary to live. The basic building block, if you're 10 feet under, you're not going to live long. So we have a problem with that. And in regard to the the climate itself, and climate engineering, guys, plugs into all of this. We have methane. We have nitrous oxide. Methane in particular, and we're not talking about farm animals here, we're talking about formerly frozen methane hydrate and clathrate deposits. We have mass methane releases happening right now in the Arctic, and there's enough methane there mathematically to turn the planet into Venus. So climate engineering, in the attempt to try to mask the severity of what's unfolding and mask the damage done by anthropogenic activity as a whole, much of it from climate engineering for the last 70 years, they're making the problem worse by trying to hide it, like a pharmaceutical, correct, for the planet Earth. So we have, in regard to those studies you're speaking about, there's a number of factors, but temperatures are involved, excess amounts of specific greenhouse gases are a problem for plant life now. We have other problems that are not being alluded to in such studies, and this is, a, this is an issue also. We have the particles in the atmosphere, that's altering light wavelengths. You guys understand that, right? If you put light light scattering particles in the atmosphere, that's going to change the character. Do we, Dane, you still there? I hear you. Okay. Um, re- real quick, I want to ask you about the carbon dioxide because did you guys people... catch all? Of, did, did was that oh, all? Yeah. Record? Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah, it went through. There was just maybe um, a ten to fifteen second gap, and when you started out, I don't know what happened, but. Um, okay. That, if you can explain to to our audience and to us, um, you you mentioned the high levels of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Now, a lot of what we hear and go over with the uh, global warming angle of things, uh, a lot of what we read, you know, people if they're like me, they see an article on global warming and you know high levels of CO two, they immediately see the angle that it's a spin into global warming, and they just dismiss it. And then, at the same time, I've seen studies, uh, you know, they talk about how the temperatures were, you know, much higher during the medieval time period. And then, specifically, when the dinosaurs were around, they say that, you know, the carbon dioxide was much higher and that plants and animals thrived when, when the carbon dioxide was was higher. Can you give us some examples of how carbon, uh, too much carbon dioxide can be a bad thing in our atmosphere? Okay, and this is where it's important for people to, one, Thank you for the question. One, not think dichotomously, and two, to actually investigate. Let's give some examples. Only five million years ago, and this is a geologic drop in the bucket, the Paleocene, uh, or the uh, Paleocene thermal maximum, or excuse me, pedum event, was 55 million years ago. That's a that's a, a methane mass expulsion. The, the Pliocene epoch, excuse me, five. There's a lot of different epochs in Earth's history. The Pliocene epoch, 5.2 million years ago. The carbon count was much higher. The planet was not dying. It was thriving. The western U.S. was not burning to the ground. Again, only 5.2 million years ago. And your listeners can look up Pliocene Epoch. And what was the difference between then and now? We did not have 
human activity, including climate engineering, completely breaking down and altering the system at the geologic blink of an eye. So we had, again, higher carbon counts, warmer planet, but we had more rainfall that wasn't being thwarted by climate engineering, and we had sea levels that were 100 feet, 70 to 100 feet higher. That's a problem. So again, we have to not think dichotomously, and that's what our society is trained to do. It's either this or that. We're good, they're bad. That's a problem. So this is not about Al Gore. Again, I, I have great disdain for Mr. Gore. He owns stock in the companies he claims to be fighting. He couldn't be a bigger hypocrite. But there are many factors to consider, and when the changes occur at this speed, when we're losing oxygen content, in those previous periods, guys, like the Pliocene Epoch, there was much more oxygen content as well. It's plummeting right now. I'm not sure if you guys have had the chance to see any of our recent posts, but global oxygen content is plummeting right now. Very different conditions. You have atmospherically conditions that were very unlike. They're, they're very different from what they were during the Pliocene. The other event I was, I was beginning to refer to there, I was getting a couple epochs crossed up. The Petum event, the Paleocene-Eocene thermal maximum, 55 million years ago. That was a methane mass expulsion, much like what's happening now, only what's happening now is far worse and happening far faster. During that event, at blinding speed, about in a period as short of as short as perhaps 13 years, global temperatures escalated as much as 10 degrees centigrade. That's about 17 or 18 degrees Fahrenheit. That appears to be the scenario we're in right now. So I would encourage your listeners to understand this simple mantra, guys. Very simple. There's no legitimate discussion about the climate without discussing climate engineering first. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah. Yep. That's reasonable, right? Second, and this is also very important, no legitimate discussion about climate engineering without discussing chemical ice nucleation for weather modification. Guys, you've, you've seen the stories of the snow occurring in the middle of the desert or at the pyramids and so forth. You've seen all that, right? Absolutely. Yes, indeed. Which makes everybody jump up and down and say, we knew there was no global warming. And that's part of the psychological operations of climate engineering. Chemical ice nucleation for weather modification are patented processes that chemically nucleate the moisture in clouds. This is part of what happened with Herma, part of what happened with Harvey. And it creates a very heavy cooled insulator that descends to the surface, knocks the temperatures down on the surface, makes everybody think that everything's much cooler than it really is because we know at atmosphere, at, at altitude right now, I'm communicating with a number of pilots, Gulfstream private pilots and commercial, and they are only seeing positive, extremely high positive temperature anomalies at altitude, much higher than normal, 10 degrees C higher than normal or more. One of the Gulfstream pilots had a forced emergency descent in the Gulfstream because the temperatures over 40,000 feet were about 25 degrees C above normal. The air was so hot it wouldn't hold the aircraft. So the colder temperatures we're seeing in some parts, especially in the eastern U.S., are only a cooler surface level. And we need to look at the bigger picture in order to understand what's really happening. So back to the original question of CO2, earlier epochs in Earth's history, very, very different conditions, much higher sea levels, huge problem for, for industrialized civilization. We have to take the whole picture into account. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. 
Indeed it does. Uh, Dan, uh, just so that we don't leave this dangling, and we've got you here for about another, I think, 13 minutes or so, uh, but uh, you mentioned a few moments ago that that these particulates, and forgive me for using layperson's terms, uh, but these particulates are in fact changing the light. Now, uh, over the past 18 months, I've had occasion to uh, live both on the northern Olympic Peninsula of Washington State as well as Pasadena, California, and it was a long transition from Pasadena up north, so about 1,300 miles north. Dane, upon returning to Pasadena after, say, three months, four months up on the Olympic Peninsula, right on the Straits of San Juan de Fuca, uh, the sun is noticeably different in Los Angeles. And I know that might sound kind of kooky to some people, but I'm, I'm being very sincere. The sun is glaring, it's hot, it's white, it, ha- it, it feels almost like those pigtail bulbs that they've been cramming down our throats for about the past five years. Is there something going on? Is the sun actually a different color and hue uh, in, say, Southern California versus, say, Northern Washington? It just depends on the amount of particulate matter in the atmosphere. Also, we have massive, again, ozone depletion going on. And on that regard, and this relates to what your original question, for those that have been told it's the hairspray cans that are depleting the ozone layer, although chlorofluorocarbons are a problem, climate engineering is an exponentially larger problem. And that's not hard to figure out. We know one Air Force tanker can carry and disperse 75 tons of particulates or more. Obviously, that's a much, much bigger problem. So the the ozone depletion is immense. We're now getting UVC on the surface, not just massive amounts of UVB, which has escalated exponentially, but we're getting UVC. That's the last band of UV X-ray, or excuse me, of of UV radiation before X-ray. So that's optically very damaging. So it would depend on how thin the ozone layer as measured in Dobson units is above your particular location. Okay. Dane, I want to ask you a question. I know we only have a a few minutes left. I'm just looking at, at some models right now to talk about just Hurricane Maria that is in the uh, Atlantic Ocean right now. This storm went from a tropical storm this morning. It's now a Category 5. Have we seen intensification in storms like this before? It's called rapid intensification, and it's happened a lot lately, hasn't it? With Harvey, Irma, and now Marie. What it appears they're doing is allowing those cyclones to near their location without strengthening too much, and they can knock that strength down again with the ionosphere heater transmissions I mentioned earlier. They can push the air down from the atmosphere that blows out the convection, weakens the storm. Once they get nearer their, what would appear to be at this point, target areas, they're allowed to rapidly intensify, which they will do on their own as long as there's no conflicting upper air wind currents, the ocean temperatures are scaldingly hot, and it appears again that they're they're keeping the cyclones from strengthening as they're crossing the Atlantic when they're nearer their what we can only at this point consider a target zone, they're allowed to strengthen. Uh, Joe, if I could back up again, that one question I wanted to answer, though, to fill in that blank on how warm it is now compared to the medieval warming period and so forth. Right now, it appears on the climate data that's available, and this is not from NASA or NOAA, the, the temperature readings we get on the ground, I would encourage your listeners to verify this. Everywhere we check a reading, it's higher. The actual reading on the ground is significantly higher than the official reading. So much so that the data indicates we may be three and a half degrees C warm, warmer than the start of the industrialized period. If that's true, that's warmer than at any period in time that humans have existed on the planet already. 
So I would encourage your listeners, again, not to believe me, not to believe any other source. They should check the official temperature readings in their area with their own readings taken in the shade and see what they find out. Everywhere we check, the readings are being underreported, not overreported. UV readings, completely fictitious. All the UV readings we get have no basis in reality. The UV is exponentially higher and more dangerous than anything we're being told. And why would this be a surprise? Do we think they're going to tell us how bad it is and trigger panic in the population so the population knows what's been done to them without their knowledge or consent? Not going to happen. Okay. And, um, you know, it's, it's very interesting as we, we see this hurricane season, um, just my last comment on the, on the hurricane season here, that, as you said, what was it, 4,300 some days without a hurricane? Now we're seeing a very active season and people, because of the eclipse and there's, you know, the star alignment coming up on September 23rd, many people are trying to make the case that this is something biblical and so out of the ordinary that is going on that they're they're trying to tie it to to biblical events i just want you dane to speak in a normal active hurricane season um what this is about normal right for a regular hurricane season how many uh, average hurricanes you know make landfall or, or storms get named can you give us just some of the details on on what an average hurricane season looks like since we've had such um variety these last 10 15 years can't give that because we, we have okay. no way to know what normal is at this point without without having the intervention the system stopped. But let me let me add this. While we've had the near forty three hundred day major landfall drought, the rest of the planet has been getting slaughtered with record hurricanes. Let's take uh, the Philippines, for example. The Philippine Philippine leader Duterte, you guys know who he is, and he told the US uh, to get out, basically. As soon as he took that position, his country was slaughtered again and again with record cyclones like Cyclone Haiyan in 2014. You guys remember Cyclone Haiyan, the most powerful hurricane landfall ever, 195-mile-an-hour wind cut a swath through the Philippines. You remember that? Yes, I do. Yep. Guess what happened afterward? U.S. moved in. Moved in, started setting up bases under the guise of humanitarian efforts. Same thing happened in Haiti. Same thing happens in a lot of places. So while we had the hurricane hiatus here, that many people claim was proof that there was no warming going on. We have the Gulf of Mexico that we see hurricanes again and again and again trying to form. They will not let them form and spin in the Gulf of Mexico, likely because the Macondo well, the Gulf of Mexico blowout, is still being sprayed at the wellhead with Corexit to make sure that oil sinks and they don't want all that churned up. How could there be no major cyclones in the record warm Gulf of Mexico for so long? Harvey cut across yeah. and strengthened right before it made landfall, but they did not let it spin around the middle of the Gulf and do damage, did they? Neither did they with Irma. They directed it back onto land, 90, almost 90-degree 90 northerly turn. So there is no question they're suppressing cyclones, but they're going on around the west of the world and doing great damage, even right now in the western Pacific. Right now, it's going on. Big cyclone impacts there right now. Wow. So, Dane, uh, two things quickly, and we've just got you for a couple more minutes. It, it, what you effectively just said with Corexit and going back to the the uh, oil disaster back in, I believe it was t 2011, uh, were they to allow these to uh, to spin up uh, normally as, as, as the atmosphere and the earth would dictate? They would literally, we, they, we, 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 would, we would see a hurricane uh, deluge of Corexit. Is that accurate? 
it would appear to be. And what happened to Matt Simmons? I don't know if you guys know who Matt Simmons was. He was the world's most recognized authority on deep-sea drilling. He went on CNN after they supposedly plugged the Macondo well. He said things they didn't want him to say. That they were. He, he stated on the air that they were still spraying corrects at the wellhead, that the seafloor had heaved. They would never plug that well. He was found dead one or two nights later in his pool. Obviously, they didn't want that to get out. So at this point, there are many, many agendas being carried out. And, and what I would say is this again to your listeners, and I understand the polarization that's going on, and that's one of the primary purposes of climate engineering, to, to create engineered events in a way that confuses and divides the population. I, I would simply again ask that people get over their disdain, their justifiable disdain for environmental groups like Sierra Club, Greenpeace, immense hypocrisy coming from those groups. Uh, 350.org, who receives they receive their funding from the Rockefeller Foundation. None of these groups will talk about climate engineering. None of them. And that's the goal. So in order to stop climate engineering, we have to recognize certain fundamental truths. We have to stand on credible ground. And that is this. Even if we ignored all other forms of human Ignore that, can we? The human race has not been good stewards of the planet. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely, I would agree with that. Been been poor stewards. So even if we ignore all other sources of damage, if we only looked at climate engineering, climate engineering alone is doing immense damage to the planet and warming it overall. These particulates that deflect some of the daytime heat also trap heat at night. That's easy to figure out. It's trapping radiant heat at night. It's shredding the ozone layer. It's disrupting the hydrological cycle. Climate engineering is is fueling the warming of the planet. So if we if we adopted a simple mantra, we recognize the planet's warming, but climate engineering should be our first order of business to deal with that. We may coax the climate science community out into the open and get them to join us in the battle to stop climate engineering. If we can stop climate engineering, we can reassess where we're at. But while these programs of global intervention are going on and the damage they're doing, if it continues, we're not going to be around long, and that's a mathematical statistical fact. I, I agree with you, Dane. Folks, Dane Wigington is our guest. Geoengineeringwatch.org is the website. Make sure you bookmark that website. It literally is a treasure trove of data dealing with all different facets of what we see happening uh, with uh, from chemtrail spraying to weather manipulation and the causes. Geoengineeringwatch.org. Dane, thank you so much for taking the time out to be our, our guest tonight, and we look forward to having you back. Thanks for addressing this issue, guys. And again, we, we try to provide the materials people need to wake others up around them. And passing on credible data is far more effective than playing at the sky and ranting. So I hope people can use our site for a resource. We'll do our best to stay ahead of breaking data. Thanks, guys. Dane, thank you so much. And uh, we will certainly be in touch and uh, welcome you back again here sooner than later. Thank you, guys. Take care. Well, that will do it for us tonight. We uh, had a, a fantastic program. Michael Thompson was our guest in the first hour, Republican Chick in hour two, and Dane Wigington in hour three. Folks, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and to follow us on Hagman Report. And also check out our two new shows, The Doug Hagman Show, 9 to 10 a.m., and The Hagman Daily Show with John and myself, 2 to 3 p.m. Both shows, each episode, are available for podcast download just go to HagmanReport.com, and at the top there, click the two new show icon or the listen icon, and both will take you to those shows. We have a great week lined up for you tomorrow. Um, my father will be back, but I want to say thank you to John for sitting in these last four shows 
for my dad. It's been a lot of fun. I know we get to do it on a on a daily basis on our show, but it's been a lot of fun having you do the the main show and not having the the grumpy old man around all the time. <laughs> well, that's very gracious, Joe, and and I want to I want to take that thank you and pay it forward to all the listeners and viewers who uh welcomed uh the the different combination of Joe and I into your evenings and it was certainly an honor and a privilege to fill in for Doug Hagman who will be back tomorrow evening Tuesday September 19th. Joe, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you John and thanks to everybody out there, all the the listeners, all the the people um who support our show whether with monetary support or with prayers. We can't thank you enough for for being out there and being the foundation of this show, The Hagman Report. That'll do it for us tonight. Until tomorrow, God bless and have a great evening. 